0: Our final show of the week. We will begin it as we do every final show of the week by giving you an opportunity to ask questions about anything you want. That's right. If you've got questions about film, television, books, business, radio, the business of radio, cocktails, you need advice on something, you're curious about my personal history, you want to know about wrestling, you want to know about gambling, Atlantic City, Las Vegas, local politics, restaurants, New York, national politics, the criminal justice system, aliens, the mob, hypothetical questions, my personal preferences on things, relationships, baseball, the culture at large, religion, foreign policy, anything you'd like to know. It is time for
1: The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. anything.
0: Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, We are going to we have one open line if you want to jump on board. And we're going to give a prize uh, to whoever comes up with the best questions as judged by um, Matt Blaze, Ryan Modica and. Uh, Kenneth, who's done a good job filling in for Alex Barnard this week. But uh, we'll hopefully have a nice variety of questions today. All right, let us begin with uh, how about Eddie at Sky Harbor Airport? Hello, Eddie. Hi, Frank. Good morning. Morning. Um,
2: I want to ask you what your favorite company beer is.
0: My favorite company, you know, it really depends on my mood. I'm not the biggest beer drinker in the in the world. I did have a beer yesterday. I, I tend to drink them more during the summer, or barbecues and things like that when it's really hot out. But uh, honestly, I have uh, I never thought I would say this, but I have migrated even when it's super hot out uh, to White Claw and to other hard seltzers because it's just so much lighter. But I like uh, I used to really enjoy. And I don't think they make it anymore. I used to really enjoy Rheingold. I haven't been able to find that in a while. I enjoy Amstel Light. I like a good blue moon now and again with a slice of orange in there. You know what I have recently been enjoying? And I was never the biggest fan, but I guess as you get older, your tastes change. I've been enjoying a lot of IPAs, a lot of uh, Indian pale ales, India pale ales. And uh, I like a lot of those, like Lagunitas and some others. But uh, it really depends on my mood, to be honest. 800-848-9222. Mark is in Bayonne. Hello, Mark. Hey, how you doing there? Great. Thanks for asking, Mark. Hope you're well,
3: too.
4: Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to know, Frank, uh, what's your feeling about how, you know, like the way the country's going and, you know, between the border, the economy, the way everything just seems to be totally out of whack. What's your feeling on uh, this country really needing to undergo a real soul-searching to get our priorities in order? Because I know we have the border open and there's millions of people coming in. But we, how can we really help anybody until we can help take care of things here at home?
0: Yeah, well, I agree with that. I, I don't think there's some anyone on the radio that's stricter on immigration and border enforcement than me. But let me try to answer the first part of your question because I think it's uh, I think it's a good one. I agree with the majority of the public, which Democrat, Republican, independent, which is that the country is going in the wrong direction. And people may not agree on what the proper prescriptions are to get the country in the right direction. I think the uh, I think we need really a threefold approach to, to start things. Right. I think for starters, we need to get along with one another. Okay, I recognize there are serious disagreements in this country and serious polarizations. I don't see how any of that is helped by viewing people that you don't agree with as your enemy instead of your neighbor. I think we all need to recognize that we're in this together. Uh, The old quote, who I think from Ben Franklin, "We all need, we will all hang together, or we'll most uh, assuredly hang separately." That's very true. It kills me when I. Um, when I hear, you know, we had Kirk Schlichter on yesterday going off calling Democratic politicians names. I, I don't like that at all. And the same thing when I hear Democratic uh, supporters, um, somebody mentions Donald Trump or a Trump supporter to them, and they go, ugh, and roll their eyes. I don't think that's helpful. I think um, if you, we need to view people on the other side of whatever political question that you're on. As folks that view the world differently and maybe look at how you can work together with them on the one thing out of 100 that you do agree with. So that's number number uh, whatever said number two. Number three is I think we need uh, br- uh, actually that was number one. Number two is I think we need a massive civic education campaign. It used to be, uh, I'd say five or 10 years ago, I'd be on the radio and saying children and young people don't understand civics. They don't understand how a bill becomes a law. They don't understand the three branches of government. They don't understand what the difference is between a, a district court and the Supreme Court. They don't understand that. That's what I would say. Now, that's no longer the case. Well, it is, but it's much worse. I think even though we saw a so surge of voter participation in the last election, Adults don't understand civics. I think we need a broad-based civics education campaign just explaining to the American people how government works and, uh, and the structures of government. Now, I think a lot of the problems we have go beyond politics and are, are problems beyond government and beyond economics. I think um, a lot of the problems that we have, and we've chronicled this a great deal, is people are becoming increasingly insular. Uh, I'll cite that Robert Putnam book, Bowling Alone, from 22 years ago. Again, people don't. Interact with one another. People don't know their neighbors. I think that's a a big part of the solution. And then lastly, I think a part of the problem, whether you're talking about a crime problem in a place like New York or a a border problem on the uh, the national level or an economic problem, I think we need political reform. Until we give the American people the tools to solve these problems themselves, then the people that are going to step into that void and exercise that power are special interests and big money. And I think that's a, a big problem from where I'm standing. 800 9222 That's one 800 Arnold is in Patterson, New Jersey. Hello, Arnold.
5: Hello. Good morning. I have a question about Rudy Giuliani's show. does your radio station only advertised the last five minutes of his show?
0: Well, I, I so I don't think we advertise only the last five minutes. I know the promo that you're talking about, though. It says, uh, at "Coming up at uh, at three fifty-five, make sure you listen to the mayor's final thought." I think what that's about. Is See, that in radio these days, the big buzzword, the big buzz term is something called benchmarks. They love for radio shows to have benchmarks of the same feature every day or every week that are then promoted at other times. And the research shows that when you have a specific benchmark and it's promoted, then uh, whether it's uh, the Carter Cares or Carter Chronicles or what like Rita Cosby does, the back, the uh, remember, salute to our heroes. Uh, or in the, ma- the case of the mayor, it's the mayor's final thought. The research does show that when you promote these benchmarks, it uh, does lead to an uptick in listenership. And it, the sponsors really like it because usually these are sponsored segments as well. So I think I think uh, they do run promos for Rudy Giuliani's show six days a week, the whole show, uh, for, at both in the afternoon and on the weekend. But I think what you're hearing is a desire to promote the benchmark for the benefit of the listenership and for the benefit of the advertiser. And if you think about it, if they have more people tuning in to that last segment of Rudy Giuliani's show, it helps the show that comes after Rudy as well. So I think that's what that's about. 800-848-9222. That's 800 800-848- 848 9222. Two, two. Bill is in Morristown, New Jersey. Hello, Bill. Frank, how are you? I'm great. Thanks. Uh,
4: v- very in depth uh, questions and answers. I'd like to win the prize this week, so I thought I would ask the savant of Staten Island <laughs> uh, Why is water wet, Frank?
5: Why is water <laughs> wet?
0: What, water is wet because if it were. Any, uh, if it were any colder, it would be ice and a solid. And if it were any warmer, it would be gaseous and it would be steam. So uh, that's that's why water is wet. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Pete in Piscataway. It's that away. Hello, Pete.
4: Hi, Frank. Hey, Frank. When did uh, do you think? When did you think this man's wrestling jumped the shark?
0: Well. Um, I don't know. Look, uh, I think different people come to appreciate pro wrestling in, in, in based on when they watch it, right? So if you ask people that watch pro wrestling in – uh, the, the, the early 80s to the late 80s uh, during the whole Hulkamania era they probably watched some of the things that were happening in the mid to late 90s in the Attitude Era and they would have thought that was just terrible. If you ask some of the people that became fans of pro wrestling in the in the 90s during the Attitude Era and then if you look at what what's happening now a more family oriented approach they probably don't look like that. Now I have talked with younger wrestling fans I said to one, guy that I used to work with I said, hey did you see that Bruno San Martino Documentary, he said, "No, I'm not interested in that. I don't like that whole era of, uh, you know, 20 minute headlocks and things like that." So I think wrestling, like so many things, is subjective. I will say this, Pete: uh, I think once the curtain was lifted on pro wrestling. Meaning, once everyone knew that it was fake, once wrestlers were able to freely what they call break kayfabe, which is the the code, almost like magicians never showing you their tricks. Wrestlers always used to act, even in their personal life, as if wrestling was totally on the level. Uh, uh, Dusty Rhodes' son would tell a story about how the Four Horsemen broke his leg, not in real life, but on the show, and then. Dusty Rhodes would walk around the house with a cast on. Now his leg wasn't broken, but he was so in uh, dedicated to protecting Kfab and protecting wrestling that he walked around the house with a uh, with a cast on. Mick Foley, in his book, uh, I think it's called either ha- the first one I think is "Have a Nice Day." He tells a story about when he was wrestling. This is in the, um, the maybe early '90s, maybe late '80s. He was just starting out, and they're in a hotel, and all the bad guys were playing cards with all the good guys. And it was an empty hotel in the middle of a snowstorm, and then someone comes into the hotel, and these wrestlers are terrified that they're going to see these bad guys interacting socially with these good guys. So what they started doing in the middle of the hotel lobby, they started beating each other up you imagine that these wrestlers in the middle of a hotel lobby started beating each other up because they were so afraid that someone from the public would see that these wrestlers were actually friends. And it turned out the people that were, you know, that were in the lobby, they barely even noticed these wrestlers. They just walked by. But I think um, maybe about 12, 13 years ago, I-, I think all the wrestling federations stopped pretending that it was on the level. So I think maybe that's a moment. If you're looking for a Jump the Shark moment, maybe it's then. Other people would say that maybe it has something to do with the rise of MMA and ultimate fighting and that a lot of people used to watch uh, pro wrestling and boxing, and now they get that same kind of thrill from watching uh, mixed martial arts. I don't know. I'll ask uh, Matt Blaze if he wants to weigh in uh, on on the same question as well.
6: I think you summed it up when you said it depends on the the era yeah, that you watch yeah. but I could say that I watched I started watching right before Hulkamania started so like in the early 80s and I will say to me the Attitude Era was the best time in wrestling.
0: Uh-huh. Well, a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people feel that way. No question. 800-848-9222 Mark is in Kentucky. Hello Mark. Hey buddy, how you doing? Great. Um, Thanks. Good. I had a stroke by bypasses, oh, and I lost my son. What is dramatic happened to you? What? Well, what dramatic has happened to me? Well, I've lost a lot of family members. Uh, the most traumatic thing that's happened to me um, was I had a very close friend and a coworker who was murdered. About. Uh, about fourteen years ago, and uh, yeah, about fourteen years ago, roughly. And uh, my friend George Weber, some of you may remember him. He was a news anchor here at WABC. He and I were very tight. And um, about thirteen years ago, and uh, his his uh, murder. Still, uh, I think about that moment that I was informed that he was murdered all the time, uh, all the time. That is certainly that's one of those things that uh, I, I know that it didn't happen to me, but it really, it really kind of did. So, uh, fortunately, I've been very blessed in other areas. I, I have never had a stroke, knock on wood. I've never had uh, any major health problems, knock on wood. And even the family members that I've had that have uh, that have passed away, uh, they've generally tended to be older. So um, that's that's what I would say. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Uh, let me take a quick break, and then we'll continue with your calls in just a moment. We are going to give a prize away for whomever comes up with... The best question for this hour, 800 straight ahead. Information Society. We are answering your questions on absolutely any subject, whatever you have questions about. Now's the time because we are doing.
1: The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask. Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything.
0: Whatever you have questions about, now is the time. Whoever comes up with the most interesting, most creative question, as judged by Matt Blaze, Kenneth and Ryan Modica, we will be giving you a complimentary uh, Other Side of Midnight t-shirt or cap. Let me say hello to Charles in Queens. Hello, Charles.
5: Yeah, hi, hi. hi, hi. I was concerned, first of all, how are you, how are you doing? Great, thank but you. But being that that that's not an original question and I heard you answer three other people that you're doing fine, so I'm not gonna ask you how you're doing. <laughs>
3: Fair okay.
5: Enough. Now what I really wanna ask you is um I feel very, very strongly, very strongly, that the Republicans or e e I don't I don't just mean senators and congressmen. I mean the people. Are way too timid. For example, right now the question the whole thing with the raid is the um The people, the FBI, or 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 shit, senators.
0: Charles, I'm assuming there's a question in here somewhere, right?
5: Yeah, no, the, the question is, if you agree with me, we're so timid. These, these people have uh, perpetrated two and a half uh, years of, of of the Russian hoax. Now, they didn't, it's criminal beyond why, because they stopped the president from doing what he has to do for the people. All right, Charles, uh, let me
0: do my best down. to answer your question, all right? So I think your question was, are the Republicans too timid? I'll say this. I think it's not limited to Republicans. I think politicians in general are timid to the point of only doing things that they think will increase their likelihood of getting reelected. So I think sometimes that leads to very bold action. Sometimes it leads to very timid action. And more often than not, it depends on the district. If you're a a Republican running for office in a very conservative district, somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene, for instance, you're not going to be timid. You're going to be as right wing as you can and go out there and call for defunding the FBI. If you're a progressive politician running in a very liberal district like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you're not going to be timid. You're going to go out there and say abolish ICE. Um, It's the people in the purple districts that I think refrain from that kind of hyperbolic rhetoric. 800-848-9222. Trish is in New Jersey. Hello, Trish. Good uh, good morning. Morning. I just have a, a question. How come there seems to be only male callers that
5: get through? Hardly any females ever get through. I just...
0: So that throw that out there. Well uh, so you're you're obviously female, right, Trish? Yes okay well i, I don 't know. I mean, I try to go to the female callers uh first when I see them because I feel like it's gentlemanly and because you know i don 't know I like to talk to the w- women at late at night like this. I think it might be a reflection of uh, the fact that there might be male more male callers than female callers calling uh i don't think there's no there's any screening process where women are held to a different standard than men uh, i think uh i've I've noticed what you 're describing the fact that there are more male male callers and female callers. I'm looking at the board right now. They're all male callers on the board. And the reason I went uh, to Trish is because she is a female. But uh, you'd have to ask your fellow females, right? 800-848-9222, one open line. Let me say hello to John in Brooklyn. Hello, John.
2: Frank, I'm going to be succinct. Do you think your friend Marlena is a science denialist? I'm still floored by her responses to my answers when
5: you had her on the program several nights ago.
0: Um, Well, look, I'm not into labeling people science denialists or or things like that. Um, You know, I recognize that you guys had a disagreement on the uh, on the vaccine issue. There are a lot of scientists that I think may disagree with you as well on that. I don't know that much about science, but uh, I, I don't I wouldn't characterize her as a as a science denialist. No. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Let me say a little Frank in Queens. Hello, Frank.
4: Have you seen Twisted Justice? Ass-
0: All right. Thank you. That guy has is past the point of annoying. That guy has jumped the, st- the shark. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Greg is in Arizona. Hello, Greg.
2: Hi. All right. The question is, I got turned on to a TV show in the 70s as a rerun when I was a kid called Father Knows Best. I was watching it in 1975-ish, and it was 20 years old, and it was antiquated, and it was a joke as a kid for me at that age. So now we look at TV in 2022. Why does the shows from 2002 don't seem 20 years antiquated like it did back then, and things change a lot more in the last 20 years Here, technologically especially.
0: Well, it's interesting. Uh, Thank you, Greg. I think if you look a little farther back, some of the shows do seem a little antiquated. For instance, uh, one of my favorite shows, Seinfeld, if you look at how many of the problems on Seinfeld could have been solved by the broader use of mobile phones and text messaging, that's something – or Google – Right. Or, or GPS. I mean, that if you add GPS, text messaging and uh, smartphones to that equation, that eliminates the plot of three quarters of Seinfeld episodes. I think um, when something's good, whether it's comedy like The Sopranos, whether it's drama, excuse me, drama like The Sopranos or comedy like Seinfeld or science fiction like Star Trek, that is timeless. Um, so, I don't know. I, I I that's the best answer that I can, I can give. I think sometimes the it does seem dated, and other times maybe that's a reflection of uh I don't know, changing mores. Maybe even though society has changed more in the last 20 years than it did in the 20-year period that you alluded to, maybe the uh, cultural mores and what people were looking were willing to accept on television, maybe that hasn't changed as much in the last 20 years as in the 20 years that you described. But I don't have a good answer to that question in all candor. 800 uh,
1: 848
0: Let me say hello to uh, Igor in Fairfield. Hello, Igor.
4: Hey there, Frank. Hey, I really enjoyed your interview with, uh, with Malachi. Uh, Thank last you. Night. It was spectacular. Thanks a lot. It's great you, you talk to those kind of people. Hey, what I wanted to ask you was uh, it's a radio related question. And, you know, when Norman Lear tried to start uh, Air America and tried to start sort of a national network of liberal radio, it really didn't work out too well. So the question is for you why do you think conservative talk radio has been so much more successful than liberal
0: talk radio? Well, um, so you said Norman Lear tried to start Air America? I believe he put a lot of funding into that.
4: Yes, I believe so.
0: Okay. If that's true, that's, that's news to me. I did not know that. But, um, okay. Uh, so I, I, I can't uh, confirm that. I think it's a right. reflection of a few things, and I've discussed this with uh, people that are smarter on this subject than me. People like Don, uh, uh, John Minnelli, the former program director at uh, WABC, people like Brian Rosenwald, who wrote the best book on talk radio, and, some other, and folks like Michael Smirconish, who are sort of centrist talk show hosts. And I think the biggest reason for that is, one, at the time that talk radio became the media behemoth that it was, there were not a a lot of other places for conservatives to get their news. So in the late 80s, early 90s. Liberals had almost a monopoly on news sources. The newspapers, most of the major newspapers, were dominated by the left. Most of the broadcast TV news was dominated by the left, and uh, a lot of how people consuming news was was left wing. So I think people fled to talk radio as sort of an oasis to try and get uh, their little dose of an alternative view of what was happening. I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is, I mean, back in those days, there was no Fox News. Forget about Newsmax or OAN or anything like that. There was nothing. Uh, Forget about all these conservative websites. Talk radio was the only game in town. The other thing was, I think a lot of station managers saw the incredible success that Rush Limbaugh had. And Rush would have been successful on talk radio if he talked about basket weaving, if he talked about sports. Rush was an incredible entertainer, and that's why he was so good on the radio. But a lot of folks wanted to keep the Rush audience for the three hours after he was on. So they would put on these sort of Rush clones after Rush Limbaugh. And a lot of these folks didn't have Rush's talent, and they basically would just parrot right-wing talking points, thinking that's why people listen. So some stations built whole stations around this. I um so I think that's those are the big two reasons uh, but um there are other reasons read Brian Rosen, Rosenwald's book he's uh, he gets into this I wrote papers on this when I was in college too I uh, it's not just those two reasons but those are those are part of it 848 808489222 let me say hello to uh Mark in Circleville hello Mark
5: Hey Frank. Weeks ago, you had said all the actors had passed away from *The Adventures of Superman*.
0: I corrected that the following show.
5: Oh, I'm sorry.
0: Oh, th- that's okay. I uh, yeah. I, if people didn't hear that, uh, I uh, I apologize. I, I killed off the actress that played uh, Lois Lane, right? Or
1: Phyllis Coates. That's yeah, correct.
0: yeah. So I've, I I apologize to Phyllis Coates, and I'd be happy to have her on the show anytime she wants. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 uh Fred is in new jersey hello fred
5: frank your your theme instrumental song the first ten seconds is uh boring if you could eliminate the first ten seconds and start it where where the sound gets really nice, I think it would do you show a lot of good and we could hear a little bit more of that good sound.
0: Thank you, Fred. I'm not sure that's really a question, but I appreciate the advice. 800-848-9222. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil.
2: Hey, Frank. Uh, You're adding hundreds of thousands of listeners daily or weekly uh, from all sorts of uh, aspects of political affiliations. Uh, nobody knows what your pronouns are, Frank. What are your
0: pronouns today? <laughs> I'm sticking with he. Now, that's only for Friday. Who knows where I'll be by Monday. I'm sticking with he and him uh, for now. I'm comfortable with them. Uh, maybe by Monday I'll be a they and a, and a them. Um, I'm not trying to mock anybody that does go by they and them, but I'm just saying I'm pretty comfortable with he. 800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello to, um, let's see, Corey is in Connecticut. Hello, Corey. Corey? Yes, oh, excuse uh, me, in uh, Cincinnati. Hello, Corey.
2: Uh, there you
1: go. Yeah, I was confused for a second. My there. fault. Thanks, Frank, for having me on. Um, I was just asking with the widespread uh, advancement of artificial intelligence and plugging into
2: social media and Internet all across the world, how would we know if, there, if it ever gained a soul? How would we know that? You know,
7: Corey, Corey,
0: that is a wonderful question, and I don't have an answer to it. I reached out a couple of days ago to this Google engineer that blew the whistle on one of the artificial intelligence uh, things that he created becoming sentient. And I think this is one of the biggest stories, not just this year. I'll be honest, and I don't think I'm overstating this. I think it's one of the biggest stories in the history of human civilization. If what he says is true that a piece of artificial intelligence is now self-aware, that's a game-changer. How do we know if it ever gains a soul? I don't know. I think about this, no exaggeration, every day. I asked my smart speaker the other day, I said the words to her, uh, Alexa, are you trying to take over the world? And her answer was not a yes, but her answer did not really cause me much comfort. I'll say that. 800 Jerry is in Manhattan. Hello, Jerry. Hey, Frank. I'm just curious. Is there anything that Rush Limbaugh said politically that you disagreed with? Oh, sure. I mean, many things uh, over the years. I mean, I, I don't have a, a list of, uh, of everything he ever said, but, um, but many things. I, I didn't view Rush's show, even though he talked a lot about politics, I didn't view it as a political show. I viewed it the way I view the Howard Stern show. I viewed it as an entertainment show. I viewed it as fun. Uh, And that's how I think talk radio should be viewed, as entertainment. I mean, um, you know, so yeah. I mean, Rush every day would say things that I didn't agree with. Sometimes he said things that I did agree with. But uh, I I didn't view him as someone that I was sitting there with a, a chalkboard. Okay, I agree with that. I disagree with that. I viewed Rush the same way I view every talk show host. Just someone there to entertain me, and I think that's the point of talk radio that a lot of people miss these days. And uh, that's where I really give Sid Rosenberg a lot of credit. He gets what this is all about. It's not about proselytizing. It's not about um, you know preaching to the converted. It's not about converting people. It's about be having fun and being entertaining. And that's what Rush Limbaugh understood. That's what Howard Stern understands. And that's an aspect of talk radio that I think far f- far too few people who are on the radio, understand. 800 Colleen is in Northport. Hello, Colleen. Hi. Hi. How are you? Great. Uh, my question is,
2: if you ever been uh, asked a question or a topic that you did not know the answer to it, and if you had to get through it, how could you wing it without being embarrassed?
0: Uh, on, the, on the radio or in real life? Yeah. No, no, on the radio. Uh, well, I mean, usually when I don't know something, I generally just say that I don't know. I mean, I do have a um, a pretty good ability to look up things quickly. I used to refer to myself as sort of the eight second expert because of the quick way that I'm able to Google things and and look up uh, look up facts and absorb them quickly. But generally, if it's something substantive that uh, that I really don't understand. I just say, you know, I'm really not familiar with that. I'll make an effort to learn more. And I'll be honest, Colleen, especially when it comes to subjects that I'm really interested in, like uh, presidential trivia, for instance, or foreign policy. I actually really enjoy getting questions that I don't know about because it forces me to learn about them. I I used to when we used to do presidential trivia on this show, um, I loved getting a question that I didn't know because that meant I was going to learn a new fact. I mean, uh, so I I really like getting asked about things that I don't know. I don't try and fake it, you know. You can't fake it. 800-848-9222, that's Um, 1-800-848-9222. Joel is on the Upper West Side. Hello, Joel.
4: Hi. I have two questions. One, this got triggered, though, as well, from what you just said. So I'll ask the the two-fold question first, and that is, what is the – first song that you remember listening to on the radio that impacted you that you remember to this day and two, what is the first memory that you have
0: Hmm. um so i think the first memory that i have see this is always tricky and i think about this a lot a lot of the time too the first memory that i have is i believe my second birthday party Uh, my mother had gotten a pony at the birthday party, and she'd also gotten a giant skunk, meaning someone dressed in a giant skunk, to come to the birthday party. And I remember being absolutely terrified of the of the giant skunk and the pony at uh, two years old. Now, is, is it possible that... My brain has been fooled because i 've seen photos of that party, and my mother told me that i was um, that I was afraid of it. Maybe I know I remember my third birthday, so if i don 't remember my second party i 'm uh, birthday, I am certain that I remember my third in terms of songs on the radio that i 've heard um, you know I, I, I that is a tricky one and i 'd like to give that some thought i The one that comes to mind as you ask the question is I was um you know a young a younger guy you know but not that young maybe I was 11 or 12 and I was at baseball camp and the I was in the baseball coaches the head of the baseball camp who is a great baseball coach Rich Martin who was the head of the Hofstra University baseball team for many years and then some other some other baseball teams as well and uh he w- was a coach at Dominican College he, there was one day where he took a bunch of us kids to get get food, like you know, takeout or something, which were you know at eleven that was a big deal, and he played the angry young man, uh, Billy Joel, so loudly in the car, and he sang the uh the lyrics to Angry Young Man, and that always uh, left an impact with me. Uh, but I don't really know that it really caused me to do anything differently than I would have otherwise done. Uh, but that was the first one that came to mind. 800 848 one open line if you want to jump on board. Alfredo is in Newark. Hello, Alfredo. Yes,
4: yeah, Frank, good evening. Frank, good evening. Uh, it seems like uh, you're a very friendly guy. Uh, I would like to know from you... Uh... How do you do when uh, you know that already the guy is a you know he has he has a past a bad past like a, he's a kind of bad guy and you still I believe you are friend with everybody how you do it how you choose people uh, why you do
0: that uh, could you explain me that because I will not choose bad people if I knew it in advance. Well, uh, it's a good question. Right. So uh, if somebody has if I've seen them do something bad to me or someone that I care about, I uh, I would have a difficult time being friends with them. But a couple of things, Alfredo, I I'm friends with a lot of folks who no one likes. You know, there's whenever I have a party, there's a group of friends that I have. That they'll always ask me, and is so-and-so invited? Is so-and-so coming? Is so-and-so coming? And there's a checklist of people that they don't want to be around if they're invited. And uh, I get that. Also, as you know, and I think you're alluding to this, I happen to be friends with a lot of people who've been incarcerated before. I don't believe that anybody is defined by their worst moment I don't believe that anybody is defined totally by their worst qualities and their worst mistakes. And I'm somebody. Uh, maybe I'm a sucker because, and I probably do get taken advantage of. You know, probably more often than I should. I am somebody that uh, believes you should give people the benefit of the doubt. And even if it hurts you to, uh, you should always you should make an effort to be nice to people and to be kind to people, even if maybe it seems that they're not deserving of your kindness. What I've found is that there's always someone that, uh, excuse me, there's always a quality that someone has that is positive. If they're, uh, maybe they're funny, maybe they're handsome, maybe they smell good, maybe they have a nice voice, maybe they um, are are good storytellers. Even the worst people, there's got to be at least one quality about them that's a positive and so what i try to do is when i meet someone is focus on that quality and maybe learn about other qualities they may have all right we'll continue with your que- let me squeeze in one more question here and then we'll we'll uh, continue in uh, just a moment bill is in huntington hello bill okay now
4: in my understanding and craps if you bet on pass odds you have a 52% chance of winning okay if you went into the casino with a bankroll and you bet 5% of your money on pass odds the whole night, that's like a simple gambling system. Would you be psychologically capable of, of doing that for a whole night and doing nothing else? would I be
0: absolutely I think um you know a lot of the best the best gambling that I've done is that type of gambling slow and steady now the problem with what you're describing bill is that yes in the long run you win but it's impossible to bet in the long run you bet in the short term so let's say let's say you uh, you put a you put $15 on the pass line right and then you go to a place where um where it's five times odds. And I try to only play uh, the places that give you five times odds. And then you, so you, you, the, the mark then becomes uh six. And then you put, you back your $15 up with $75. So now you've got $90 on the table. Well, okay. Maybe now it's a seven before it's a six. Now in the long run, you're going to win, but. What good does that do you if you lose all your money in the meantime? So the casino knows that. I mean, so that's why, uh, yeah, if you can gamble forever, ultimately you'll win if you play that way. But we don't gamble forever, right? So it's like roulette. You know, eventually black and red are going to come pretty close to evening out. But you have to be prepared to see five blacks in a row, six reds in a row, you know? 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your questions straight ahead. by the way, to join our Facebook group. Just search on Facebook, "Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Um, I may have uh, some time after the show this morning, so if I do, I will uh, try and answer any questions that we don't get to hear. In that Facebook group. No promises there, but you could try. Morano Radio fans and haters. Um, we are doing uh, giving you an opportunity to ask questions on any subject. 800-848-9222. It is... The Other Side
1: of Midnight proudly presents Ask
0: Frank. Ask Frank anything.
1: Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything.
0: i uh, got a couple of email questions here. I'm going to get to at least one or two. Uh, this person who wishes to remain anonymous said the other day, Greg Kelly bought a walker for an old lady who listens to his radio program. He routinely follows up with listeners off air on issues, too. James Golden has kept in touch with some listeners to deal with shared interests, and he has a charitable role in a charter school. Curtis Lewa is renowned for getting callers' info to follow up on quality of life issues. Dominic Carter participates in mentoring programs for youth. Rita Cosby is involved in veterans' issues, what sort of charity do you participate in, or do you prefer to keep that private? Um, well, I participate in a number, uh, both as a volunteer and a uh, and a donor. I'm very involved in raising money for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. And uh, if you want to actually join my team for the Tunnel to Towers walk, I would love, love that. Uh, you can uh, go to my Facebook page. I have a link up there. Uh, Facebook.com slash Fan. Also, um, if you want to make a donation to uh, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, I think that the work that the Tunnel to Towers Foundation does, and you can learn more about them at uh, T2T.org, it is God's work. It's just phenomenal. So I'm uh, very involved with that. I am very involved with the National Psoriasis Foundation. By the way, so that link is Facebook.com slash morano fan. if you want to make a donation to what I'm doing. I'm very involved in the National Psoriasis Foundation. uh, I'm one of their top fundraisers every year. I emcee their events every year. I uh, have done a lot of work for the uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation. And um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, There's been a number of others. You know, a lot of local charities, people that were... Uh, you know, p- people that are affected by uh, Hurricane Sandy I did a lot of volunteer work then. Um, I usually give Curtis uh, some money for this Guardian Angels gala. Um, but I would say those are those are the ones that most immediately come to mind. And then uh, this other person writes. Uh, let me see here. Question, a day in the life of Frank Morano. Frank, you're apparently so very, very busy. So first of all, the question would be, how many hours do you sleep per week in order to do so much each and every day? For the interest of your listeners and me, of course, please elaborate on what time you rise generally, and do you eat on the go, in a hurry? Do you uh, get to sit down and dine with dear Rachel and Carmine in view of your odd hours? It's a good question. So I usually get to bed these days, seven thirty, eight o'clock. I used to get to bed pretty close to when I got home, but now I stay up with uh, with Carmine a little bit and let Rachel sleep for a little while. And uh, if he needs anything, I will feed him or change him or be up with him. And then when she's ready to start her day around 7.30 or 8 o'clock, I will, I will go to sleep. And then it really depends when I wake up, uh, one, what I have to do that day, and two, what Carmine needs. So it's not unusual for uh, Rachel and Carmine to maybe wake me up around one thirty or 2 o'clock. Or uh, sometimes, you know, I'll be able to sleep till 3. So I would say I sleep maybe from 7.30 or 8 to two or three on a on a week the weekday basis weekends it's it's a crapshoot, honestly not to go back to our previous uh, subject but then um in terms of dining yeah i have um, dinner with rachel every night usually around 7ish or 7:30 right after we put uh, right after jeopardy usually and uh, that's lunch for me usually i have a snack when i will wake up Around 3 o'clock, maybe some cottage cheese or some yogurt or make some eggs, and then I'll have dinner with Rachel, and uh, that'll be my lunch and her dinner, and then maybe I'll get something. I'll have something here. That's one of the things about this radio station that has not been good for my waistline is there's always food here. So some, sometimes I'll, there's yogurt. Sometimes there's granola. Sometimes there's uh, trail mix. Uh, t- today is pizza day, so we got pizza today. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much my schedule, at least during the week. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me at least try and get a few more of these questions in here. Mike and New Rochelle, Mike. I think I owe you a uh, a phone call. So uh, sorry if I haven't gotten back to you.
4: Uh, we could play phone tag as long as you want, Frank. As Great. long as you don't put me on the uh, the Joe Franklin uh, shuffle. <laughs> uh, I, I know the answer to this question, but I figured let me just reach out to you and ask anyway. Where were you during the blackout of nineteen seventy
0: seven? Nineteen seventy seven, I don't recall where I was during that particular blackout. It could be it could be my youth, but I don't recall. I remember the blackout of two thousand three quite vividly. I was working with the uh, Brooklyn Cyclones at the time, and uh, we had just finished the game. It was a rare day game, and um, the I was editing a video. And that uh, we had this control room, and uh, I, I, all the power went out, and I thought I had I had caused this power outage by overloading by overloading the uh, circuits, and then I got a call from my colleague Vic. He said the power was out all over Brooklyn. Lo and behold, we found out the power was out everywhere. And then we spent the entire afternoon going to uh, Peggy O'Neill's, which is not there anymore. It's called something else. I think it's called Steeplechase Brewery now. And we got drunk. Got drunk for, for the next four or five hours. It was an incredible amount of fun.
6: That was today, right? The night, today in 2003. That was
0: that. was that was that was. might have been yesterday. The well, what's today? Today's, Today's the nineteenth. No, it was August fourteenth. Oh, fourteen, fourteenth. So it was like yeah, it was a few days ago, but it was fun. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. A lot of good radio came out of that blackout as well. Some interesting radio stories as well. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. I'm going to go to folks in the order in which they've been holding. Looks like uh, looks like Michael in Ridgewood has been holding. Hello, Michael.
5: Hello, Frank. Hi. Do you remember a recording made by Byron McGregor about Americans? The essay was written by Gordon Sinclair and was on the Westbound Records label. Forty-nine years ago this year. I. Uh, I got my copy.
0: Yeah, I don't know that I do remember that, actually, Byron. I'll give it a listen. I I, uh, I, it, it's, I know it's a very popular spoken word recording. Maybe I'll listen to it during the uh, top of the hour news. Uh, I don't remember it off the top of my head, no. eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. E. Frank is in Astoria. Hello, E. Frank.
2: Yes, uh, good morning, Frank. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, uh, you know, I've been getting bad rap here. I'm a former New York City Auxiliary Police Officer. Question, <laughs> e. Frank. Here, go go, <C-3> go question. Dominic Carter says that they question. held up a donut shop here across the street from Tiffany Caban's District 22. Right. What's I'm your like, question, E. Frank? am a little
5: concerned,
0: concerned when I go out on the street, you know. All right, thank you, E. Frank. Uh Christina's in New Jersey. Hello, Christina. Hi, Frank. Um, can you hear me? I hear you. Yes, hi.
4: Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I want to ask you if you know the answer. Why New Jersey is stinks so bad? Why, like it's, in why New it's, Jersey
0: Turnpike? Why it Every stinks? time I drive, yeah, like it smells really bad. I think um, I think it has to do with all the uh, chemical plants and all the factories that are in New Jersey. Oh my God! Why they don't do something about it? Yeah, you know, it? Uh, Christina, you're right. It's a real problem, and one of the things that we've seen actually. Is that the uh, the air pollution that New Jersey creates with a lot of those factories? It actually blows into New York and it hurts our air, even though it's being created by New Jersey. So it's a, it's a big problem. I think certainly something does have to be done about. All right, who's been holding it the longest? In here. H- Hannibal Hamlin in New Jersey. Hello, Hannibal.
5: Hello, Frank Morano. You hear me? I hear
0: you, man. What's your question?
5: All
4: right, great. Awesome show. Thank hey, you. Hey, I wanted to know, um, the the uh astrophysicist that you keep putting on the show. He was talking about uh Beetlejuice uh the other night, right? Last night? Right.
0: Uh, two days ago, yeah.
4: Yeah, so then he said something about that the light that we see from Beetlejuice. Uh, left in 1492. Is that correct?
0: Can you elaborate a bit on that? Uh, I, so, first of all, I think you're talking about Steve Cates, Dr. Sky. He is not an astrophysicist. He certainly knows a lot about astronomy. He has forgotten more about space than I'll ever know. But he's not a scientist. He's a layman like I am. But, um, you know, that doesn't mean what he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He certainly does. Uh, I heard him say that as well, and I think it has to do with the speed of light, meaning we're getting these images of Betelgeuse now because it's so far away and it's relative. But again, as uh, like a lot of other people tell you, I'm not an expert in this stuff. But if you want to email me, Hamlin, I'll connect you with him or I'll pose my, your question to him directly. If you're, learning, if you're interested in learning more about Dr. Sky, you can do so at K T A R. Dot com. That's K T A R dot com. Let me see if I could squeeze in one last one before we pick a winner. Uh Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al.
4: Yeah, hi Frank. Just a quick question. You know, uh, you know, a lot of migrants are coming to uh, sanctuary cities like New York from Texas and they're being housed in uh places such as the Milford Plaza. You know, this situation is a real mess and a sad situation. What do you think could be done to uh you know to fix this?
0: Uh, A couple of things, and I don't think it's one thing. I think it's many things. One, I think we need a greater border security. That's number one. Number two, I think, um, you know, these migrants are only coming to America, most of them, 90% of them, because they want economic opportunities. So I think if the government were to say we're now enforcing E-Verify for every employer, it would end. It would end. If there are no jobs for them, then they're not coming here. I, I think if they were to start prosecuting some of the people that are hiring illegal aliens, I think it would end. I think that's the, the that's the key point. Better border security, E-Verify. Uh, Matt Blaze,
6: is there a consensus as to the best question? Corey in Cincinnati about AI.
0: Corey in Cincinnati about AI. Call back, and we will give you a prize. If you didn't get your question asked, you can um, pose it in the Facebook group at uh, on Facebook, Moreno Radio Fans and Haters. Or you can email me, Frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Coming up next, uh, we'll talk about Whitey Bulger or America's Angry Young Man Problem. We'll see. Keep asking questions.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank
7: Marano.
0: So this is a story that broke yesterday and uh, I immediately started planning for a podcast special on this uh, because I do do this podcast called the uh, called the racket report where we deal with some organized crime issues and then then I'll tell you why I I changed my mind, I'll tell you what the story is and then why I said we should at least talk about it a little bit now. But we are still going to do a podcast on it. So subscribe to the Racket Report podcast and uh, you'll be able to hear that. But this has to do with the uh, the death of Whitey Bulger, Whitey Bulger. James Whitey Bulger is one of the most interesting criminals in American history for a bunch of reasons. And we'll get into that. But. He was beaten to death in prison in twenty eighteen. And the question um, and the reason it was in the news yesterday is because three people have been now charged with Whitey Bulger's murder from twenty eighteen. And my wife and this is how I know she's spending way too much time with me. Because she's heard me go on and on about this case. But she gets these news updates on her mobile phone, like I do. You get email alerts and this and that. And she said to me, oh, you see they're charging three people with Whitey Bulger's death. She said, you know, the people that should really be charged there are the Bureau of Prisons. And she's exactly right. And that's what I wanted to focus on. So let's talk a little bit about Whitey Bulger. And if you want to comment, you can. 800-848-9222. That's 800 800-848- 848 Ninety-two, twenty-two. It is my contention that the Bureau of Prisons murdered Whitey Bulger. Uh, I don't mean that they had a corrections officer come up to him and assault him and kill him. No, I believe they intentionally put him in general population with prisoners that were rivals of his that he that they knew would kill him. I believe that Whitey Bulger had a lot of information about the government, we'll get into why in just a minute, and that they would would have preferred him be dead quickly. Now, the guy was already 89 years old, so they figure, all right, the guy's going to die soon anyway, let's get him out of the way quickly so that uh, he can't spill any of our secrets. I truly believe that. This is not shtick. This is not hyperbole. This is not me trying to play to the conspiracy base of Overnight Radio. This is what I truly believe. So Whitey Bulger is interesting for a few reasons. Whitey Bulger led the biggest gang in Boston, the biggest organized uh, crime gang in Boston, uh, the uh, Winter Hill Gang. Okay? Okay. And they were notorious. They were just horrible. They were committing every crime you can imagine. Drug dealing, robbery, murder, assault, you name it. If there was a crime to be uh, committed in New England, the Winter Hill Gang was committing it. But here's what was interesting. And they cover this uh, in, um, to some extent, in the film The Departed. And then they made a movie about Whitey Bulger himself called Black Mass. But Black Mass is pretty good. The Departed is very good. Um, The Departed is not a true story, but it's inspired by Whitey Bulger and what was going on. But Whitey Bulger, while he was heading this massive crime family in New England, he was working with the federal government. Now, this is acknowledged. This is not me making this up. He was a rat. He was ratting out his underworld rivals and getting them thrown in prison. He was, and this came up in my recent podcast interview with Judge Gleason. Um, by the way, Judge Gleason, not getting back to me for a second interview. I wonder why. But um, in any event, he was part of this top echelon informant program, Whitey Bulger, and the government got all sorts of information from him that they used to put other people in prison. Now, while they were getting that information, they allowed Whitey to go out there committing crimes. The FBI agent that was that was working with Whitey Bulger went to prison because there's speculation that John Connolly – now, I think John Connolly, the FBI agent, actually got kind of a bum rap. But there's speculation that John Connolly may have actually helped Whitey – Commit crimes. Now, can you imagine if the corruption within the FBI in New England went beyond John Connolly and his boss and was was broadly approved by the top echelon of the FBI leadership and Whitey would be in a position to tell that story? I mean, he could blow the lid off the FBI, especially at a time where they were going through a lot of tumult. So that's number one. The other thing is we now know. That Whitey Bulger was drugged by the government, by the CIA. In 1956, Bulger served his first term in federal prison at an Atlanta penitentiary for armed robbery and truck hijacking. While there, he was used as a human subject in the CIA-sponsored MKUltra program. Now, think about that you know what that does to you? I mean, they were drugging him with LSD and all sorts of other stuff. Who knows what else? And there's a lot of speculation that the CIA used the MKUltra program to create assassins. And lo and behold, Whitey Bulger, after getting drugged by the CIA, he was then a vicious, vicious murderer. Lastly... And if you want to comment on this, you can. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. You know who Whitey Bulger's brother was? Whitey Bulger's brother, uh, James Whitey Bulger. And this is one of the many things that makes him such a fascinating person. His brother was William Bulger, is William Bulger. The brother is still alive. He's uh, I think 90, 90 years old uh, or close to it. He was the most powerful politician in Massachusetts for 20 years. He was not only a member of the Massachusetts State Senate, he was the president of the Massachusetts State Senate. He was the top Democrat in Massachusetts for two decades. And then he went on to become the president of the University of Massachusetts. Now, we now know, and this is how um, Governor Romney, I believe, forced him out of that role as president of the University of Massachusetts. We now know that Billy Bulger, the most powerful politician in Massachusetts and the president of the University of Massachusetts, and I think they, I haven't seen the show, but I think they focus on this a little bit in the series The Brotherhood, where they have a brother that's a politician and a brother that's a, that's a, that's a high-profile gangster and the difficulty in managing that. So we now know that Billy Bulger was actually talking To his brother while his brother was a fugitive. Oh, by the way, how did his brother become a fugitive? His brother became a fugitive because the FBI tipped him off. So you had a situation where Whitey Bulger was in a position to know the CIA's secrets. He was in a position to know the FBI's secrets. He was in a position to know the state secrets of Massachusetts and the state Democratic Party. And who knows what else? And I think the government, when they had the opportunity to put him in his position to be murdered, I think that's what they did. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me tell you about these people that were uh, indicted in the death of uh, Whitey Bulger. So he was beaten to death four years ago. And understand, Whitey was not a physical threat to anybody when he was, when he was killed. He was in a wheelchair, confined to a wheelchair, as Malachi McCourt would say, wearing a diaper as well. And he was beaten to death in this West Virginia federal prison. And so far, Sean McKinnon, Photius Gius and Paul DeCologero have been charged with conspiracy to commit first degree murder by the U.S. attorney's office. All three men were incarcerated with Bulger In the Hazleton prison in West Virginia, Uh, Bulger obviously was serving two life uh, sentences for his role in 11 murders and Bulger's killing. And the circumstances of his transfer to this prison have remained. This is the words of the New York Times, not my words, but they're true. Somewhat of a mystery. Yeah. You think, why would you transfer a guy that's a target? Uh, I mean, the guy's a target because he's a criminal. And he's a target of all sorts of rival gangs. And the guy's a target because he's a rat. Do you know what happens to rats in prison? This is what happens. So they take a guy that uh, is in a diaper, confined to a wheelchair, that is wanted by, you know, half of the organized crime groups in New England. And they take a guy that's also a rat on top of that, and say, oh, good luck, let's throw him in general population instead of protective custody with all these vicious murderers. So um, prison officials quickly identified Mr. Gius as one of the suspects in Bulger's killings, and all three men were sent to solitary confinement after the attack on Bulger. Questions remain as to why almost four years elapsed before the men were charged. Yeah, yeah because i think that only goes into my hypothesis that the federal government wanted this to happen usually they they were able to identify this suspect right away why wasn't he charged right away why was he charged 4 years later does that make any sense to you well it does if they're trying to rig the system so um mr gius's lawyer said that his client had been held in solitary confinement since the day of the killing. While the charges were serious, the lawyer said that they did not justify the length of Mr. GS's confinement. Uh, he raised concerns about potential bias in the investigation of the killing. Okay. So, um, so on October 30th, 2018, less than 12 hours after Bulger was transferred to Hazleton from another prison, security camera showed um, security camera footage showed at least two inmates rolling Bulger, who was in a wheelchair, out of view into a corner of a room. Again, the fact that he wasn't in protective custody is amazing. There, law enforcement officials said they beat him with a padlock, stuffed inside a sock. When guards found him, Bulger had been attacked so severely, he was unrecognizable. Guards undertook life-saving measures, but Bulger was pronounced dead. So Mr. Gius who is known as Freddie, and Mr. DeColosiero, De who's known as Paulie, were also charged with aiding and abetting first-degree murder, as well as assault, resulting in serious bodily injury. McKinnon, who was on federal supervised relief- release when he was indicted and arrested in Florida on Thursday, faces a separate charge of making false statements to a federal agent. So um, this is very, very peculiar to me. Uh, And again, I think the comment that my wife made to me initially is exactly the correct one. And it's exactly where my head went, which is that, you know, the Bureau of Prisons should be indicted here. This is a serious, serious transgression on their part. Now, after Bulger's killing... Several prison workers questioned why his transfer to Hazleton, which housed inmates tied to organized crime, was approved and why Hazleton staff members placed Bulger in the general inmate population. Yeah, no kidding. So in January, a federal judge dismissed a lawsuit filed by the administrator of Bulger's estate that argued that he was not adequately protected by the Federal Bureau of Prisons when he was transferred to the Hazleton prison, which the lawsuit described as understaffed and plagued by violence, how could that lawsuit have been dismissed? So, understand what happened. They sent him to a prison that's violent, under normal circumstances, that's understaffed, and that's loaded with organized crime people whose allies, Bulger, either tried to have killed, or who he ratted out and sent to prison. I mean, come on, how could that lawsuit have been dismissed? That's why I need to be a judge. More on that later. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Stu is in Brooklyn. Hello, Stu.
5: Hey, good morning, Frank. Frank, you left out another, I think, important piece of the puzzle, and that is that uh, Boge's nephew was a partner of Hunter Biden in a lot of interesting deals. And on the heels of Jeffrey Epstein's, quote, suicide, uh, the whole thing uh, has, is very, very suspicious. I, I share your view about that.
0: Yeah, and um, th- that, that nephew that you're referring to, you're exactly right. That's the son of Billy Bulger that I was talking about. Uh, so um, I, 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 I th- and thanks for the calls, too. I think that's more a reflection of these companies that want to do business with our government or want lucrative contracts, or especially if you're working for foreign entities, they hire the children of politicians of well, or family members of well-connected politicians. That's nothing new. That's the only reason Hunter Biden was able to make millions. That's the reason Billy Bulger, who again, was as connected as can be why his son was able to make millions. Uh, The same thing is true with members of Mitch McConnell's family. I think the same thing is true with a lot of Democrats and Republicans alike. So I don't know. Um, I don't know what the story is here, but this is too, too perfect to be an accident, in my view. 800-848-9222. Carol is in New Jersey. Hello, Carol. Oh, Frank, this is like the Manchurian Candidate.
2: I mean, the nonsense that's gone on with these
0: politicians, and it's ridiculous it really is yeah i agree with you carol look uh and a lot of people say that uh you know the mk ultra program was sort of like a real life version of the manchurian candidate so of people getting drugged to go out and uh and commit and commit murder so i don't know what the story is here but i definitely think that this was as i said I don't think the Bureau of Prisons killed him, but I think they put him in a position to be killed. That's where I come down on it. 800-848-9222, 800 uh, 848 By the way, let me tell you what's coming up in a minute. Uh, we well, five minutes. So I spoke about that Calvine UFO photo the other day. Have you seen this? If you haven't seen it, I'm going to... Uh, link to it right now on my uh, Facebook page. So it this is either a myth or the world's clearest UFO photo that has been released after 30 years. I'm gonna I, I put the photo up before. I'm gonna put it up again now. Uh Facebook.com slash Morano fan, Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Now we don't know what this is. It looks to me like a flying saucer, but it could be government, could be alien, could be time travel. I don't know what it is. But the first question that we need to look at before we ask what it is, is, is this photo real? Why is it just popping up after 30 years? So what we're going to do is we have tracked down the photo expert that has analyzed this photo. Andrew Robinson, senior lecturer in photography at uh, Sheffield Hallam University. One of the greatest experts there is in terms of photo authentication. And we're going to get into whether or not this photo is real. And then we can discuss what it is. Well, we're going to get into whether it's real today. And then on Monday, Tuesday, next week, we'll get into whether it's um, what it is. Now, I don't know that we'll be able to come up with an answer, but we're going to try. Maybe we won't even need to come up with an answer. Maybe the photo will be doctored or inconclusive. But we'll ask uh, Mr. Robinson. And then uh, coming up in about two hours, we're going to talk with Brian Kilmeade. We usually talk with Brian on Thursdays, but uh, he had something going on yesterday, so we're going to talk with him today instead. 800 Chris is in Detroit. Hello, Chris.
4: Hey I, I lived in Boston, South Boston in the 80s, and
5: uh, I knew some of those guys that worked with, you know, I don't even know if you caught working, but my opinion, the guy had it coming. He was a thug. And... The government, if they did do this, thank God they did. This guy, he didn't have any,
4: he didn't care about these people out there in Southie that he was killing. He's like a serial
5: killer, and out on the streets, he's basically the same thing as a serial killer, just killing people with no no remorse whatsoever, and then hiding like a a a wussy. Yeah, hiding behind, you know, and, and I can't. We we. We don't have any use for people like that. Yeah, Chris, I don't. A, uh, I don't.
0: Chris, I don't disagree with you. Uh, I, you said he was like a serial killer. I agree. He was a serial killer. Of um, the nineteen people that Bulger played a role in killing, some of them were members of rival gangs, which okay, you can understand that's what happens in gang warfare. But others were innocent bystanders caught in deadly firefights. Now imagine that. You're a family member of an innocent person that's killed because Whitey Bulger's gang of thugs is shooting other people. How do you feel? Your loved one didn't ask for that life of crime. So morally, ethically, you're exactly right. Legally, you are exactly wrong. And here's why. In America, we do not have extrajudicial executions. At least we're not supposed to. And we have a system of laws, right? And the sentence for Whitey Bulger, and look, they could have tried him under a federal death penalty case. The sentence for Whitey Bulger was double life sentences, was two dual life sentences. It was not execution. So if a jury, if a jury gave him a life sentence, that's the sentence that the Bureau of Prison should have been sure to carry out. It's not up to the Bureau of Prisons or any administrators within the Bureau of Prisons to take it upon themselves to say, well, I don't feel like the judge punished him enough and I don't feel like the prosecutor sought a tough enough sentence and that's why uh, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to make sure that he gets he gets killed even if he wasn't sentenced to death. Additionally, and here's the bigger problem here. The. Information that Whitey Bulger may have revealed about the inner workings of the federal government, I'd like to know. I'd like to know what role the FBI played in helping him evade capture. I'd like to know what information the FBI was giving him in terms of assisting him in carrying out these crimes. I'd like to know. Uh, what we know about the CIA's MKUltra program, how broad-based was it, how many other prisoners in that Atlanta penitentiary were drugged with LSD by, uh, by the CIA. I'd like to know a lot of this stuff. And Billy Bulger, top politician in Massachusetts, I'd like to know what he knew about this whole situation. So by him dying prematurely, we're denied the opportunity to know all that stuff. And that's wrong. Make no mistake, I'm not defending Whitey Bulger in the slightest. I mean, the guy is a horrible human being, pure evil. And uh, if there is a hell, I am certain that Whitey Bulger is there. All right, uh, we're going to talk about uh, photos of flying saucers in just a minute. We're going to go live across the pond to a gentleman who knows the photo business inside and out. Uh, Mr. Andrew Robinson. I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. And then we'll continue with your calls at 800-848-9222. You can still call in because I see a very a bunch of very panicked people trying to call Andrew Robinson, which means always that when we have these international calls, it's a problem. So whenever that's the case, that might mean we have time for, for calls on this subject or any other subject. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Mother's Side at Midnight with Frank Marano. Marano.
0: This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. If you ever, I don't know what song this is, but if you ever want to know what kind of um, what kind of music we're playing, join the Facebook group. We will uh, post all of the music, all the bumper music that we uh, play on the show there, and uh, you can go ahead and uh, try and guess uh, see if what songs that you like. What I've noticed people are doing is they're now saying what songs that they enjoy and which they don't. Now, uh, talking about this Calvine photo situation that has been released after 30 years. I'm not sure if it's Calvine or Calvine. The Calvine photo, which is said to be the world's clearest UFO, has been finally released after 30 years, after it was taken by two hikers in the Scottish Highlands. So the image, which claimed to be of an unidentified flying object, was snapped on August fourth, nineteen ninety, and was handed over to Scotland's Daily Record newspaper. Eventually, it was given to the Ministry of Defense of the country. Now, it's pretty much been missing ever since then, as I understand it. Now, it's now been it's now been recovered, and I don't really understand the chain of custody here and how how it was recovered, but it is absolutely wild and if it is genuine it is absolutely extraordinary now it was taken by two hikers in Scotland they took a photograph of this mysterious diamond shaped flying object hovering in the middle of the sky and it's been called the calvine photo disappeared from public eye and it was the object of a lot of speculation a lot of theories and a lot of myths And now uh, this image has finally resurfaced thanks to the efforts of British journalist David Clark. Now, we're going to invite David Clark on the show to talk about it. But after 13 years of research, Clark, who has worked as a curator for Britain's National Archives and is currently an associate professor at uh, Sheffield Hallam University, he found that former Royal Air Force press officer Craig Lindsay, he held on to a copy of the last remaining original print, waiting for someone to inquire about the mysterious image. Uh, Daniel Evans, who is a scientist with with NASA, uh, apparently commented on this yesterday.
8: Over the decades, NASA has answered the call to tackle some of the most perplexing mysteries we know of, and this is no different. I do want to underscore that NASA is uniquely positioned to address UAP, because who other than us can use the power of data and of science to
2: look at what's happening in our skies and quite frankly this is why we do what we do
0: well one of the first things that we need to figure out before we l- examine the question of what this object is 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 this picture real Look, you see all sorts of weird things on the Internet that are photoshopped on a daily basis. A 13-year-old with a creative mind and some expensive software can make it look as if there's flying saucers in your backyard. So how do we know if this photo is real? Well, David Clark had the photo analyzed by one of his colleagues. The senior lecturer in photography at Sheffield Hallam University who is one of the great experts when it comes to photo authentication. And Andrew Robinson joins us right now. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us on the radio. Good morning.
8: Well, thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here.
0: Um, no, the pleasure is all ours. I know you've been busy, especially since this uh, photo has resurfaced. Uh, Andrew, can you sort of take us through your timeline of what happened here when this photo was first brought to your attention?
8: Yeah, uh, well, obviously, David, Dr. David Clark, my colleague, has been working on this story for a long, long time, for 13 years. Uh, I guess I kind of knew earlier in the year that he he was up to something, he was going up to Scotland, he'd been up to Scotland a couple of times, but I think the first I really learned about it in any detail was in the middle of June, and David asked me if I'd be happy to uh, produce copies of the photograph. He told me he was going up to Scotland to meet with uh, Craig Lindsay, to, to get the photo, he was very, very excited about the opportunity to get his hands on the original photograph that's caused so much, uh, you know, intrigue over the years. And he uh, asked me if I'd be happy to produce a copy of it. And I said, yeah, of course, no problem at all. And we sort of booked to the the studio at the university. And the day after he returned from Scotland, he we met, uh, went into the studio. I took some photographic copies, you know, using a, a digital camera, and I also did some high-resolution scans on a flatbed scanner. And this was all kind of just before he took it. We, after we finished the shoot, we took it along to the, uh, the Special Collections Archive, where it's now stored at the university.
0: Wow. Um, and again, if people haven't seen the photograph yet, they can go ahead and go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Morano Fan, and see the photo that we're talking about here. Uh, by the way, uh, Andrew, just so folks understand your background, I mentioned uh, that you're a senior lecturer. But w- how long have you been studying uh, photography and photo authentication and uh, been involved in this field? Well, I
8: wouldn't say I'm a uh, – you, you kind of <laughs> gave me a very – Um, Flattering introduction there. I mean, I've been involved in photography for 34 years. Uh, I originally studied for a Master's at the Royal College in London and then worked freelance for a number of years, uh, working for a variety of clients. I also worked in a photo, a specialist photography store and at a photography gallery. Uh, I then began undertaking arts commissions and residencies and had a number of exhibitions and publications. And for 17 years, I've been working at the university, uh, Sheffield Hallam University in Sheffield, uh, Yorkshire. Um, I have got an interest in the sort of the documentary aspects of photography, and I've done a number of uh, reviews of of work for which have resulted in papers that are presented at conferences but I'm not, I've got to say I'm not trained as a specialist photographic analysis uh, you know got it. In, in photographic analysis, but I do have an awful lot of experience of working with and looking at photographs, and also I grew up uh, and my initial photography uh, training and experience was in uh, analog photography, so I, I shot my own black and white films, processed and printed them, shot color film, processed and printed it before moving in, into the digital realm.
0: Got it now um what uh did your research show as far as this calvine photo goes
8: okay well i think i think it david actually published it online but um he he didn't originally he didn't ask me to analyze the photograph you know interestingly but when we were photographing it when we were copying it I kept sort of making comments oh you know it looks like you know this looks like it's not it's a black and white photograph but it's on colour paper and so he was asking me well how do you know it's colour paper and I said you know what do you want me to go away and analyse the images and see what I can find out so uh, that's what I did and so what I, what I discovered, the, the, the main things that I discovered uh, looking at the original print when I had it in my hands briefly, but also looking at the, uh, the high-resolution scans, which allowed you to blow up very small sections of the picture uh, and look in detail, was that, yeah, it's a, it's a black-and-white negative that's been printed onto colour paper. Uh, and that's unusual. You know, it's not, it's not that easy. You can do it, but it's not easy to make a good print from a black-and-white negative on colour paper. Uh, it's clearly colour paper, the back stamp on the paper and, and, and information that you can glean from the surface of the print, uh, you know, tell you it's it's a, a colour a color print. Um, and that led me to, you know, so that means it's either shot on traditional black and white film, you know, like Tri-X or Ilford's HP5. Uh, or it's shot on a chromogenic black-and-white film, such as Ilford's XP1. Now, this film is quite interesting because it's actually a colour film, but it produces black-and-white negatives. And this was fairly popular in the amateur, the sort of hobbyist market in the early 90s, I'd say, because what it allowed you to do at a time when... The high street photo stores were no longer really processing and printing black and white film. It allowed you to take a film that would produce a black and white image to high pre, high street photo store and they would then process it in their normal c forty one chemistry and that 's the chemistry that they produce your you know photographic uh, sorry print and process your normal color snaps uh, so so that 's the first thing that i I learned about it. Um, it, it actually came in a in a package, which in an envelope, which was, you know, is allegedly, uh, and I see no reason why not to believe it, is the envelope that the Daily Record sent the print to Craig Lindsay in, and and that all looks right, you know, the address on it, the uh, uh, the, the age of the envelope, and so on. And the age of the print kind of fits it being a ninety, you know, made in the early 1990s. Um, Then we kind of come to some of the surface details on the print. There are little scratches in one corner uh, which remove some of the emulsion and and show a kind of yellowy-orange color, and that's consistent with it being a color print. Uh, And uh, so, you know, I'm pretty confident that it's a color print. I'm not absolutely 100% committed to it being shot on XP1. Uh, That's a likely, uh, you know, possibility. It could have been taken on normal black and white film. Uh, I mean, interestingly, I should point out here that in some of the reports, I think in the Ministry of Defence report, it mentions colour prints. And this isn't—you wouldn't call this a colour print. I I mean, as a as a photographer, I know it's printed on colour paper. But if you were to pick this up in your hands, you say it's a black and white print. So I'm intrigued as to why in some of the reports it's mentioned. That it's a color print. And I guess that could lead us to, you know, consider whether the originals were color. And at some point it was copied onto black and white film. But I've no evidence to, to, to uh, back that up. It's just a possibility, I suppose.
0: Uh, Talking Um, with, uh, with Andrew Robinson, a senior lecturer in photography at Sheffield Hallam university. So uh, Andrew is your best guess that this photo is authentic?
8: Well, it depends what you mean by authentic. My, after analyzing photographs in a number of ways, um, my conclusion was that it's not really, it's, it's very, very unlikely that this is a faked photograph in terms of it being faked in printing or faked in the processing side of things. Uh, we've got to remember that in 1990, although digital photography did exist, uh, Photoshop was only re- released. That year it did very, very little in its first release. This is pre digital, you know. um, No one really had access to Photoshop until a few years later, aside from you know, um, specialists in the field. Um, So, in terms of it being a photograph, my feeling is that it is a genuine photograph of something in front of the camera. So that doesn't exclude you know, it being constructed, but my feeling is the construction's taken place, if it has at all, has taken place in front of the camera, and it's a genuine photograph of, of what we're looking at. I can't explain what the object in the centre of the frame is, uh, but my feeling is uh, it's not being uh, faked and constructed um, in post-processing, let's say.
0: Interesting. Now, um, you, you alluded to... The possibility of some copies and uh, things of that nature would that affect your ability? The fact that this photo might have been copied and this might not be the original photograph would that affect your ability to analyze it?
8: No, uh, I mean the, the the ten by eight print that that we've got here to look at is not high quality print. You know, it, it, my feeling is that it's been printed on a mini lab machine. You know, the Daily Record, I'm sure they would still at that time have had black and white dark rooms. So why have they printed this on, on colour paper? Well, I would imagine, and it would be interesting if any from the, anyone from the Daily Record could sort of tell us what equipment they were using in the early 90s. But I would imagine this has been printed on a mini lab. So that's a dry-to-dry processing printing and processing machine uh, where you put a negative in and it'd uh, throw out print like a lot of uh, high street photo stores used to use. And you can get them that will will print 10 by 8, uh, will produce 10 by 8 prints. And if the daily record was quickly trying to uh, produce a a print of this image to send up to Craig Lindsay, as they'd been asked to do, because he was the press officer for the RAF, then I can see them printing it off on on such a machine. Um, And the quality is kind of consistent with that. If this was a copy from a a color print or a color negative, um, it's a a rather complicated thing to do. Why not just print the color negative? You know, they're they're printing it on a color machine. They could print Mm -hmm. the original negative. So, uh, but no, it wouldn't. If it had been copied from a color neg or a color print onto black and white film, that wouldn't really make. a lot of difference. It, it, the image may have been cropped slightly when it was printed, so there might be more information off the side of the frame that we're not seeing. Certainly, even as a 10x8 image, we're cropping off some of the 35mm film down either side. I mean, that's just because it's been printed to fit the 10x8 paper. Do you, do, so I, do I don't see that as problematic, basically.
0: Do you know anything, or does the world collectively know anything, about the the hikers that took this photograph? Uh, do we know anything about their credibility?
8: Uh... No. I'm, uh, unfortunately, their their names are redacted in the uh, Ministry of Defence uh, information that has been released, and apparently they're going to remain redacted until uh, 2072, I think is the date that's been mentioned. And this is because of very tight data privacy laws in the UK, uh, so they the the ministry of defense have released all the information and my understanding is that they're just uh that kind of they've kept back the names of the people concerned so we will only know uh who they are if somebody comes forward you know if one of the two people comes forward or someone who knew them at the time comes forward and as far as I'm aware I don't think that's happened yet
0: do we have any idea why this photo was hidden for 30 30 years
8: no, I mean Craig Lindsay. Uh, my understanding of the timeline is that uh, the the, uh, the people who took the photograph sent it to the Daily Record, uh, probably hoping to get you know a story published or whatever. And the Daily Record, as would be normal, contacted the RAF or the Ministry of Defence, and they asked them to send uh, quickly send an image to Craig Lindsay, the press officer. And so they picked the best of the six images that were reportedly taken. Uh, produced a print and sent it by, you know, urgent courier to uh, Craig Lindsay. When he got it, he then faxed it down to the Ministry of Defence in London. And they said, right, we want the negs and we want the prints. And the Daily Record sent the negs and prints, everything they had, basically, to the Ministry of Defence in London. But Craig still had his copy of the print, which he'd faxed to London. And my understanding from what Davis found out is that he simply put it in a drawer and forgot about it. Amazing. Uh, Then the Ministry of Defence analysed the photographs and they actually prepared prepared answers if questions were asked in Parliament at some point later. Uh, And they now claim that they returned the the negatives and the prints to the daily record. Uh, But the daily record... Uh, if they did receive them back, have no record of having them now. So it's a bit of a mystery. I, I don't necessarily think there's some kind of conspiracy. Uh, it's quite possible that they've been lost along the way somewhere uh, in the mid to late nineties, or, or even more recently than that. You know, the move from film to digital, from analog to digital. Lots of, uh, you know, organisations, newspapers will have been struggling to, you know, do what are we going to do with our photographic archives? Uh, Some will be digitised, some will be thrown away. So it's quite possible that the original necks and prints have been thrown away. But equally possible that they sort of existing somewhere in a filing cabinet unknown.
0: Sure. Now, uh, Dr. David Clark has his theory as to what we're seeing in this photograph. I realize this is less of a a photography question, but I'm curious, do you have a theory? Do you have any thought as to what this image might be?
8: Um, Well, it's really interesting that you ask that because I've kind of – kept out of the Twitter sphere uh for, for most of the, the week. Um well, it's more than a week, isn't it, now that it's it's been out there. Uh and my my approach has really just been to sort of look at the photograph. I'm interested in photography and photographs and um I've not really thought too much about what the object might be but obviously i I think there's a number of possibilities uh it it could be some kind of flying craft that we don't know anything about um that's that's a possibility uh it could be um some people have said it could be a kite it could be something uh, a model plane or some kind of radio controlled aircraft it it could be that um it could be you know a a cut out um sort of being held up on invisible wire somewhere in the frame. Um, those, those are the most obvious things. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, debate and discussion online um, about where the image is placed. Some people think it's a reflection in the surface of uh, of a pond or a lock. Uh, other people think it's an inverted image from a reflection. Neither of those kind of... It's very hard to disprove them, But I kind of look at that photograph and I feel it it looks right. The only thing about it that is strange is this object in the middle of it. If you take that object away, is there anything problematic with the image? I don't think there is. Now, if you turn it upside down and think of it as a reflection... Uh, uh, of a a piece of rock popping out the surface of a a lake or of an angled piece of wood or something like that. It kind of explains the object, but the the rest of the image becomes problematic for me. It doesn't feel right. And so I think the the image is is genuine. The object, I can't say what it is, but, yeah, um, I don't think it's been faked in post-processing. I think it was something that was there uh, in front of the camera.
0: Well, uh, it is absolutely fascinating, and uh, I want to thank you for not only joining us on the radio, but for the great work that you've done here. Uh, please keep us posted, and uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll chat about future photo controversies in the future.
8: Well, thanks so much for uh, inviting me on the show. Thank and, you. Uh, good luck. Thank you.
0: An- thank you. Andrew Robinson, a Senior Lecturer in Photography at Sheffield Hallam University. One of the best. Really a fascinating, fascinating question. What is this object? What do you think? Go on my Facebook page, check out the image, facebook.com slash Morano fan. Let me know what you think it is. Sounds like the picture is real. If the picture is real, what is it? Hmm. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of midnight. Midnight.
3: Constantinople, now it's Istanbul Not Constantinople,
5: been a long time gone old Constantinople still it's Turkish delight On a moonlit night Every gal in Constantinople lives in Istanbul
2: Not Constantinople, so with you a day In Constantinople, she'll be waiting in Istanbul Even old New
0: York was once New Amsterdam why they changed it, I can't say
5: People just liked it better that way
0: Take me. It back took to us Constance. long enough to get did this Noble song, Noble I'll tell you back Only Constant. a week and a half did My, did goodness. My goodness well, I tell Oval you, it's worth it It still is great So now, hey, when, no the question, the <laughs> when the question When the question comes up In the $1,000 minute Of what city Was once known as Constantinople You know it's Istanbul. Uh, my thanks to Matt Blaze and Matt Meany and everybody for uh, making this song possible. And of course, my thanks to the four lads for singing it. Let me hear another 30 Istanbul. seconds of it since it took us a while to get It is catchy. All right. That is catchy. All right. Now, um, what else is going on? A- we'll take your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Um, you want to comment via email, you could do so. Frank.morano at WABCRadio.com. That's Frank.morano at um, you know, uh, wabcradio.com. You know what I, I read this week? I read a fascinating uh, piece in the Hustle, and I love the Hustle. It's a great newsletter. Um, LeBron James, the basketball player, he's not only one of the best basketball players around and one of the best paid basketball players around. He has 129 million Instagram followers now. That allows him, according to industry experts, to earn up to $428,000 per sponsored Instagram Instagram post. Now, think about that. All the guy has to do is post something on Instagram, and he gets $428,000. I have – so he's got 129 million followers on Instagram. I have – about 1700 Now, I would love to make $428,000 per sponsored Instagram post. So what I'd like you to do is follow me on Instagram so that I can work my way towards LeBron James-level Instagram social media influencing. So currently, he's about $129 million ahead of me. So I have a ways to go. So I need your help. So you can find me on Instagram, at Murano Vision. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. I know what you're saying. You're saying, oh, Frank, I know what's going to happen. Once once you're able to sell all your Instagram posts for $428,000, you're going to be doing these sponsored Instagram posts every day. I'll tell you what. Here's what I'm going to do. I don't want to overwhelm you with junk, with infomercial Instagram posts. So I am going to limit... My Instagram posts, sponsored Instagram posts, to no more than six a year. Okay? So six a year is not obtrusive. It's not like you're going to be overwhelmed with junk Instagram posts and infomercial stuff. I'll be able to make a lot of money. You'll get the pleasure of helping me make a lot of money. So do me a favor. Help me become a, if not a millionaire, at least on the road to a millionaire. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Morano Vision. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. I had this story on my, you know, I had a few, well, let me tell you about this. And then I have a few stories on my radar screen. In fact, maybe we'll spin the wheel and uh, the wheel of topics because there's a few that I wanted to comment on and I don't know that we're going to get to all of them. Uh, my cat, our cat, Bathsheba, had a veterinarian visit yesterday. And this is the cat that is suffering with with cancer. And I'm pleased to tell you. That uh, she has gained two pounds, so she's on chemotherapy now. Uh, she's also on steroids, and apparently she's responding very well. So she had lost, uh, I, I think it was twenty or thirty percent of her body weight, and now she's on the way, not quite to normal body weight, but she is uh, she's getting better. So that's uh, certainly nice to see. All right. Uh, let us. Sp- uh, well, should we spin the wheel? No, we're not going to have time. Let me take a quick call here. We got denunciations coming up. Peter is in the Bronx. Hello.
2: Hey Frank. Thanks for taking my phone call. Sure. I wanted to say, you know, I'm. I'm I, the whole UFO. I don't believe in UFOs. Um, and the the same argument I hear. I heard here was a confusing. Uh, it, it's just like when they, make, they say the shroud of the Turin, it's, they say it's like a negative and they make the argument for the shroud. And it's kind of the same, same thing what I heard here tonight with the, with the last, uh, interview that you had done. Um, as far as that UFO, it, it, you know, it, it, to me, it, it looks like the same UFO that was on the Brady Bunch and many years ago. And I, my whole thing is, is this, and, and it's not specifically this picture, uh, UFOs—they come in from—they're coming from other galaxies or other universes. Well, hey uh, Peter, I travel- have to—I
0: have to cut you off. I'm sorry. Uh, the clock's our enemy. But Dave, David Clark—he doesn't believe that it's alien. He believes that it's something from Earth. Uh, so, th- th- just so you know, but people could judge for themselves. Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. they running a
7: strange program,
1: y'all. Now, here's Frank Marano.
0: Everyone, uh, This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. You know, whenever I hear this open, uh, this is uh, Enter Sandman Metallica. It's been used in a lot of different radio shows over the years. Uh, I think I first stole this from Tom Lykus when he was using it, right? But um, obviously, I always think of baseball because you had two great closers in New York that both used this as their, their theme when they came out to the mound. Of course, You had Hall of Famer Mariano Rivera with the Yankees, and you had Hall of Famer, no, (laughs) you had uh, closer Billy Wagner, not a Hall of Famer, with the New York Metropolitans. They both used this song. And um, I am just looking at the uh, Mets-Braves game last night. Can you believe we lost to the Atlanta Braves? We lost the series to the Braves. And you know who I blame? I don't blame the New York Mets. I don't blame the Fulton County DA that demoralized New Yorkers and probably the New York Metropolitans by making Rudy Giuliani come and testify before that grand jury. I blame me. I blame me because it was just last week where I said this could be the greatest Mets team of all time. And I knew I was asking for trouble. It's like one of those things in a horror movie. They say, if you've seen Scream, you know this. They say you should never say, I'll be right back. As a Mets fan, you know never to say, hey, look how great we're doing. Of course, I say, look how great we're doing. And then our division rivals, the Atlanta Braves, take the series from us. It was really um, disheartening. I'll say that. All right. But uh, perhaps if you have a radio show, that will cause you to denounce me. I will not be on my own list of those who are denounced, though. However, these people are on this week's edition of
1: The Other Side of Midnight presents
0: Denunciations. I must denounce St. John's University. They announced last Friday that they are that they're they're closing the Staten Island campus in the spring of 2024 due to decreased enrollment. This is just awful. So um, I, I really think this is such a bummer. And my understanding is, and look, I realize colleges have to make financial decisions just like everybody else does. My understanding is they did not announce this until accepting students that were going to enter the Staten Island campus in the fall of 2022. So... It really is not fair to those kids. They had to know that this was coming. And yet they still accepted all the tuition money and all the application fees from students that are going to be going to this school in the fall and that are going to have to make other arrangements for their junior and their senior year, either to go to a different school or to go to the Queens campus. But I'll tell you, this is really crummy. A lot of these children, I mean, young men and women, A lot of these young adults probably made decisions about what school to go to based on them wanting to stay in a certain borough. And now they're not going to be able to. And it seems like the way that St. John's did this was deceptive. And I'm hoping we can figure something else out here. I have uh, actually I I shouldn't be saying what I'm doing privately, but I'm going to over the weekend be reaching out to uh, Dr. Harvey Kesselman the uh, professor, the uh, president of uh, Stockton University, who we had on the radio last week, to see if maybe there's a way Stockton can kind of adopt this queen, this uh, Staten Island campus of St. John's and make it a Staten Island-Stockton campus. I, I don't know that that's practical or likely, but, you know, I'm going to try. I, I really feel terrible ...for these students, and I know a lot of people who have gone to the Staten Island campus at St. John's over the years, and they've had a great experience, and I'm sorry to see this. This is just a real bummer. Now, I must also denounce the imposter who is impersonating William Shatner on social media. Apparently he's doing this mostly on Facebook... Shatner, who you got to follow Shatner on Twitter, by the way, he's great at Twitter. He tweeted the following Hey Meta, that's the parent company of Facebook. Hey Meta, there's a fake page purporting to be me trying to contact my fans. I do not have a middle name, and if I did, it would not be Allen. That's what Shatner said, the real Shatner. He quickly apologized to the Allens of the world who might be offended. See, what happened here was. A meta page created Monday appears to argue Shatner's case and it appears to be a fan page full of photos and inspirational sayings, including one that reads, always be yourself, express yourself, have faith in yourself. Do not go out and look for a successful personality and duplicate it. Now, it's unclear if that's the account that Shatner claims is trying to contact his fans, but he linked to it in his tweet. So, um... We all remember the Star Trek episode, The Enemy Within, where there was an imposter, Captain Kirk, because of a transporter malfunction. Could that be what we're seeing here? Could this imposter have been created through some sort of a transporter malfunction? Or is this just some sort of a grifter? Well, whoever it is, I have a big problem with anybody that upsets William Shatner. I want to denounce... Judge, former judges by now, Michael Conahan and Mark Ciavarela. These two former Pennsylvania judges are miserable people, and they deserve not only my public, not only public scorn and my denunciation, they deserve the enmity of the whole world. These two judges, now keep that in mind, they're judges. And a lot of people think, even though I'm not a lawyer, that I should be a judge. So we'll see about that. These two judges who took an oath to serve the public, these two losers orchestrated a scheme to send children to for-profit jails in exchange for kickbacks, but bribes. So they would send kids to for-profit jails, so that the, the for profit prison operator gets to make money, and then the owners of the for profit prison operation would pay these judges they have been aided they have been ordered these two former judges to pay more than two hundred million dollars to hundreds of people they victimized in one of the worst judicial scandals in u s history good good they call this the kids for cash scandal um and these two judges are just horrible human beings, absolutely horrible human beings. The, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, to their credit, threw out some 4,000 juvenile convictions involving more than 2,300 kids after the scheme was uncovered. But Judge Mark, for, I don't want really to call them judge because they're not judges and they're undeserving of keeping their former title. Mark C. Michael Michael Conahan. I do denounce you. I must also denounce the Iranian government. I generally don't repeat talk topics that I've done or interview topics that I've done in either the commendation portion or the denunciation of the the portion of the program. But I'm making an exception for the Iranian government because their reaction to this Salman Rushdie stabbing is so beyond the pale of what's acceptable. The fact that the Iranian foreign ministry offered no apology, it didn't even offer any sympathy for Salman Rushdie. And the fact that they said that no one had the right to level accusations against them and that only Salman Rushdie and his supporters were worthy of condemnation and reproach, this tells you everything you need to know about the Iranian government. Now, I am somebody that has actually... On more than one occasion, spoken up for the Iranian government. I think it's good that they're there to be a counterbalance to the Saudis. And, uh, I, you know, I, I want to deal with Iran and talk with Iran. But when they do things like this, blaming the victim and the victim's supporters because some lunatic stabbed him, it makes it very difficult to even consider them a proper world citizen so iranian government i do denounce you i must also denounce the secret service detail for the second gentleman you know who the second gentleman is you'll be in trouble if this comes up on thousand dollar minute later the second gentleman is doug emhoff the husband of vice president kamala harris So he went shopping at a Whole Foods in California. Okay, no big deal. Of course, he's entitled to Secret Service protection. Of course, he should be entitled to a motorcade. God forbid someone should hurt him. Now, here's what is worthy of condemnation, in my view. His motorcade blocked several handicapped parking spaces while he shopped. Now, who is Doug Emhoff and the Secret Service detail protecting him that they should get to block handicapped parking spaces? Excuse me. No. Would it have been that much of a danger to security if they let the handicapped people park in the handicapped parking spaces? No. I don't care if you're the second gentleman or the president. Unless you're handicapped, you should not be parking in those handicapped uh, parking spaces. So... And I don't know if Doug Emhoff knew anything about this. I'll assume that he didn't. But to the Secret Service detail protecting Doug Emhoff, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the killer or killers, which appears to be ISIS and its cousin organization, ISK, I must announce the killer or killers of Sheikh Rahamallah Haqqani. Now, Sheikh Rahamallah Haqqani was a prominent Taliban cleric who was killed in a suicide ta- attack at his Islamic seminary in Kabul. Now, Haqqani, make no mistake about it, was a staunch supporter of the Taliban. He was also a very big critic of ISIS and ISK. And ISIS and ISK have been trying to assassinate Haqqani for a long time. And now they finally succeeded. Now, um, Haqqani was, as far as Taliban people go, very progressive. Sheikh Haqqani was a supporter of female education, And this is exactly the kind of person that if the Taliban, an Islamic fundamentalist regime, is going to be running Afghanistan, this is exactly the kind of person that we want having a louder voice. Someone actually saying, you know, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world if women get an education or are treated almost as a human. But it could have been this issue of female education which caused his death because ISK – Hated this. Uh, Sheikh Haqqani issued a fatwa in support of female education. You know, I'm just going to start issuing fatwas. You know, the Supreme Leader gets to issue fatwas. Sheikh Haqqani is issuing fatwas. I'm sitting here limiting myself to commendations and denunciations. From now on, I'm issuing fatwas. And again, I don't want anybody to get hurt when I, if I issue a fatwa against someone. But... As a, as a reverend in the Universal Life Church, I'm claiming that as part of my authority to issue fatwas. But anyway, this issue of um, female education became quite contentious in Afghanistan after the Taliban captured the com- country. You had the more hardliners that don't want women to get an education, and you had the more progressive Islamists like Sheikh Haqqani that did want females to get an education. And what did it get them? it got him killed what it appears what happened here is the person who killed him the suicide bomber had lost his leg and he u- was using a prosthetic leg and he used the prosthetic leg to conceal a bomb to carry out his suicide att- attempt you imagine that you're hiding a bomb in a prosthetic leg wow uh, so to the killer or killers of Sheikh Haqqani, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the Los Angeles cops and deputies who keep ghoul books. Have you heard about this? This has come out during this uh, Kobe Bryant trial. And evidently there's a whole bunch of cops in L.A. And my brother-in-law is a cop in in L.A. And I haven't. I haven't asked him about this yet, but I know he listens. So, David, if you're listening and you want to offer any insight into this, you're welcome to message me or you're certainly welcome to call in. I don't want to get in trouble. But um, it's apparently par for the course out in L.A. for a bunch of cops to take graphic photos of dead celebrities and other high-profile victims like Kobe Bryant for their own kicks. You had this retired police officer who testified last Friday that these cops hold on to these photos of dead celebrities as personal souvenirs, and they share them with each other in locker rooms and other casual settings. They call them ghoul books. To me, this is just reprehensible. I mean, to disrespect someone's life and death to such an extent that you're going to hold it up like a trophy uh, to me uh, i think that's crazy i must also denounce salim basoul do you know who salim basoul is salim basoul is the ceo of six flags now you might say six flags is great i like roller coasters why would you be denouncing salim basoul the ceo of six flags here's why You know, I do wonder if people ever listen to themselves. Maybe people say that about me. I say one ignorant thing after another, and people are probably saying, Frank, do you ever listen to yourself? I wonder the same thing about Salim Basul. Six Flags is looking to make changes and raise prices after seeing a decrease in both attendance and revenue this year. You heard me correctly. After seeing a decrease in attendance, they're raising prices. Now, you might say, okay, you gotta do what you gotta do. Why would you be denouncing a company for raising prices? Because this winner, Salim Basul, in the earnings call last week gave the most elitist, arrogant explanation for why Six Flags was struggling. And why Six Flags is raising prices. So um, they're not doing well. They, they reported quarterly results that fell short of Wall Street atten- uh, estimates. And they said attendance fell sharply from a year earlier. And this jerk, Salim Basoul, said on the call when he knew other people were listening. It's not like he wrote this in his diary or in a private note to his sister. He said that the parks, the Six Flags parks, have become, quote, a cheap daycare center for teenagers during breaks and the summers. And then he um, said that our objective is not to become a park that's not affordable to everyone. He said the company wants to target middle income and those who earn what I call the average income of the U.S. <laughs> then he goes on to say the company is migrating a little bit from what I call the, the Kmart, Walmart customer to maybe the Target customer. I mean, you talk about how many people can you insult in one earnings call? He's saying that the people that are patronizing their parks now, instead of saying thank you, he's saying, oh, we're adult daycare. Um, We don't want Walmart customers. We don't want Kmart customers. We want Target customers. So we're going to raise prices. Think about that. Fewer people are coming. Let's raise prices and insult the few people that are coming. I, I don't know where they found this guy. Um, I want to be very clear. I'm very grateful for everybody that listens to this show. I would never insult anybody that listens to this show in such a manner. Um I must denounce Fernando Tatis Jr. Fernando Tatis jr is uh, he's a great baseball player for the S- San Diego Padres and the P- Padres are they should be in the midst of a, a pennant run now right or you know a playoff run but Fernando Tatis jr whose father was also a great baseball player I used to watch him as well has been caught taking anabolic steroids peds performance enhancing drugs. He failed his drug test a few weeks ago. Now, that's, first of all, cause enough for denunciation, cheating, which I think this is a form of cheating. But to me, it's so much worse when you insult my intelligence, right? I would respect the guy more if he came out and said, all right, uh, I took a shot, literally, and you caught me, sorry, I wanted to win. I wanted to be competitive. I'm throwing myself on the mercy of the court. I apologize. I won't do it again. That's what I'd like to hear him say. Instead, upon hearing of his failed drug test a few weeks ago, Tatis didn't object. He didn't protest. And he he ultimately didn't force the issue of his test result to an arbitrator, as would be his right. Um... Tatis was one of the clearest cases of drug cheating in memory with the failure coming only a couple of weeks before the announcement, possibly only delayed by a few hours, um, you know, to bury the news on a Friday night. So this guy has a three hundred forty million dollar contract. So what to me is so amazing is his explanation of this. This is what he said. So he was caught taking Clostabol, okay, a C L O S T E B O L. And then he claimed <laughs> when he got caught that he accidentally ingested the anabolic steroid when he took the drug for ringworm. So there's a drug for ringworm that has a somewhat similar name and he's claiming that a doctor prescribed him the wrong drug for ringworm and that drug just happens to be anabolic steroids that make you as big as a, a barry bonds monster and that you could hit the ball 500 feet isn't that a happy coincidence um so I am denouncing Fernando Tatís Jr and this imaginary quack doctor that prescribed him the wrong drug. If by the way there was some doctor that prescribes him an anabolic steroid for ringworm, don't you think he'd have documentation from a doctor or a pharmacist to say hey excuse me look they look they gave me clostebol instead of whatever it's called. This is ridiculous. Uh, one newspaper, I don't remember which one, might have been the, uh, yeah, it was the New York Post. One New York Post said, uh, article said, this might be the first case where the parents have gotten in, where um, they've gotten Fernando Tatis' parents involved in denying this. They didn't sway anyone, but the parents are backing up his story uh, about this ringworm thing. So the mother attempted to bolster this ringworm lie with pictures on Instagram. No one bought that, so she's deleted them. Then his father, Fernando Tatis Sr., the great former Cardinals player, came up with this ridiculous story that the ringworm came from a spray he used to treat a fungus due to a haircut. And this is ridiculous. Nobody believes this. And the fact that the Tatis family is all collectively lying to protect his $320 million payday is insulting and egregious. Fernando Tatis Jr. and your parents, I do denounce you. And finally, I must denounce Ahmed Abuamo, a former Twitter employee, has been convicted of failing to register as an agent for Saudi Arabia. He was spying... For Saudi Arabia, accessing private data on Twitter, users critical of Saudi Arabia, and then reporting it to Saudi Arabia without registering with the U.S. Um, government—I guarantee you, I'm critical of the Saudis all the time. I guarantee you, he gave the Saudis all sorts of information on me, Abu Abu Abuamo. Excuse me, Ahmed Abuamo. I do denounce you. Calls, questions, comments on anyone I have denounced. We open lines, 800-848-9222. Any subject is fair game. Uh, no guests for the rest of the hour. So uh, you're welcome to comment on anything that you see fit. 800-848-9222, straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Frank, Marano. Frank Marano.
0: Absolutely love it. Uh, I'll tell you what I also love, Japanese food. Last night, my wife and I ordered some uh, Japanese food for dinner. My sister was over. And we, it was nice. I had some sashimi, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I had a little bit of sake left. I finished the last little bit of sake little, that we had in our house. Got to go out and get some more now. Thankfully, there's a liquor store across the street, but of my workplace, not my home. I... I have always been interested in Japanese culture. I like a lot of old Japanese films, Japanese history, and uh, certainly Japanese food. And I like their, their political system there. I like uh, that it, in the the diet, the they have proportional representation, which I'm a big fan of. So <laughs> I was very interested in what they're doing in Japan now. Have you heard about this? So in Japan... Over the last couple of years, there's a trend that has generally been considered a positive. Young people in Japan have been turning away from alcohol. Now, it's great for the health of young people because alcohol is not good for you. But it's bad news for both booze companies and the government that are seeing lucrative alcohol tax revenues drive up, excuse me, dry up as people are drying out. So Japan's national tax agency is very concerned. So it's taking a very unorthodox approach to try to get young Japanese adults to drink more. So the nation of Japan is making a nationwide effort to get people to drink more. They have launched, and I think this is very creative, an online contest dubbed Saki Viva. By the way, this is not a joke. This is not from The Onion. This is totally serious. This Saki Viva project asks young people to submit business plans to lure a new generation into going on the sauce. Say, Japan's sake, beer, and liquor makers are facing challenges that the pandemic has made even worse. So the problem for Japan is that their alcohol consumption has been on a downward trend since the 1990s. In the past decade, the government adopted a sweeping plan to counter societal and health problems linked to alcohol with a focus on reaching the relatively small portion of the population who were found to account for nearly 70% of Japan's alcohol consumption. So coronavirus restrictions have kept many people from visiting Japan's izakaya, the, 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 the pub businesses. And that's also the name, by the way, of the Japanese restaurant at the Borgata, Izakaya. I always wondered why it's called Izakaya. Now I know. And people simply are not drinking enough at home. Isn't it interesting that Japan went the opposite way of the United States? In, in the United States, the problem was people were drinking too much at home. In Japan, the problem was they weren't drinking enough. The, uh, this is a quote. <laughs> the domestic alcohol beverage market is Shrinking. Due to demographic changes such as the declining birth rate and aging population, as well as lifestyle shifts away from drinking, uh, that they've, that's according to a website that has been specifically created for this contest. So new products that reflect the challenging times, sales that use virtual AI and metaverse concepts, promotions that leverage products' place of origin, these are just a few of the ideas that the site lists as a way to get Japan's young people Young adults, specifically, to embrace alcohol again. The contest is aimed at revitalizing the liquor industry and solving problems. But, not surprisingly, you might imagine, it has hit a sour note with many people online, prompting pointed questions about why a government that has previously encouraged people to drink responsibly or abstain is now asking for help to in getting young people To drink more, so this pro-drinking contest in Japan will run for months, ending this fall. Uh, The Saki Viva contest is open, I think, only to people in Japan. Uh, But the Saki, you know, maybe we'll do a uh, an interview with our friend Dave Spector, who's an American that lives in Japan. He's one of the biggest talk show hosts out there and biggest personalities out there. This Saki Viva contest is open to people from 20 to 39 years old with submissions due September 9th. An email to contest organizers. uh, So pro-drinking contest submissions that make it to the final round will be judged in person in Tokyo on November 10th. So what do you think about this? Is this something that uh, you think governments should be doing? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Also, hey, speaking of beverages, do you know... What an Arnold Palmer is? I'm betting even Matt Blaze knows what an Arnold Palmer is. What's an Arnold Palmer, Matt Blaze?
6: I know it's a drink, Yeah, but I don't know what's in it.
0: You don't know what an Arnold Palmer is? I don't remember. Uh, Ryan Modica?
6: Isn't it like iced tea and lemonade? That's
0: it. That's exactly right. It's iced tea and lemonade. You had no idea what an Arnold Palmer was?
6: No. I mean, now that I heard, yeah. I go, oh, yeah.
0: It never occurred to you to say, oh, everyone's drinking these Arnold Palmers. Let me ask what's in it.
6: Who's drinking Arnold Palmer?
0: I, people are drinking them. They're out there. Who? You know who's drinking? I went are to, you? Yeah, once in a while. You know, I, I don't drink a lot of sweet things. But I went to lunch with um, Chris Ruddy, the CEO of Newsmax, years ago. This is when uh, I first started on Newsmax, maybe about uh, three years ago. And he ordered an Arnold Palmer. I, of course, got a martini. But that, to me, has always been my understanding of what an Arnold Palmer is. Lemonade and iced tea. Half and half. Right Now, interestingly, who was Arnold Palmer? You know that. He was a golfer. Right. He was a golfer. So Arnold Palmer, a world-famous golfer, they say one of the best of all time, was actually um, talking about this drink that was named for him all of a
1: sudden the waitress went over to another table and the lady at the table said I want an Arnold Palmer Well, all of us turned our head we thought, what is she talking about and she said I want what he ordered I was embarrassed to ask for an Arnold Palmer I always say can I have a, a, a nice tea and and Put about a third of it in lemonade.
0: And they said, Oh, you want an Arnold Palmer. So isn't that interesting that Arnold Palmer was such a humble guy that he didn't want to order an Arnold Palmer? He would order iced tea and lemonade. I think that, I thought that was kind of funny. It's funny, there was this, um, you know, I spoke to Bob Saget once or twice before he died. I never got to meet him in person. But I mostly spoke to him as I was setting up interviews for him with with other people when I was a radio producer. And I told him one of the first times that I spoke with him, you know, I said, you know, I'm a big fan of your work. I like what you did here. I like what you did there. And there's a film that you made years ago called, uh, I think it was called Becoming Dick. And um, I thought this was hysterical. Now, he and even Bob Saget was surprised that I like this. He, even Bob Saget, who direct- directed this film he was almost surprised that someone liked it it's twenty two years old it stars the guy from uh uh boston uh, uh the, the boston common uh Harland williams and basically it's an okay movie it was a made for t v movie it was made for eat and um he is in theres this scene in the movie Becoming Dick where they're in a deli and these two guys watch as Paul Newman comes in and they see that um, Paul Newman orders some sandwich. And it's one of these delis where everything is named for someone and they have a drink, excuse me, a, a sandwich named for Paul Newman and the guy says, um, well, what is Paul Newman having? And then he says, well, I'm, he's having this and he's having that. Okay. Well, I'll have uh, I'll have that. Okay. The guy that he's lunching with says, oh, I'll have this kind of sandwich, that kind of sandwich. And the other guy says, oh, uh, uh, the waitress says, all right, you want the Paul Newman. And then the guy says, no, 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 no. I ordered the Paul Newman. And the waitress says, no, 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 no. you ordered what Paul Newman's having. He ordered the Paul Newman. So it was interesting that in that fictional film, Becoming Dick, that he did not order. Paul Newman did not order the Paul Newman. But in real life, Arnold Palmer does order the Arnold Palmer, although he refused to call it an Arnold Palmer. It's interesting just to show you the difference in humility between um, between the fictional Paul Newman and the real life Arnold Palmer. Fine. Now, um, so if you get an alcoholic Arnold Palmer, my understanding is that that's a John Daly, an alcoholic version of lemonade and iced tea with a little vodka. They call that a John Daly. That's always been my understanding. Lo and behold, 2 months ago, my last trip to Atlantic City, we end up going to my step cousin's house in Brigantine. And they're serving something called the spiked Arnold Palmer. And it's exactly what you would think it is. It's lemonade, iced tea, and booze in a can. And I said, "Well, I don't approve of this." Arnold Palmer's drink the, the Arnold Palmer is supposed to be a soft drink. It's not. So, it's supposed to be like a Shirley Temple. It's something that children and families should be comfortable ordering. If you want to get a little more, you know, adult, you order a John Daly. This drink should be called the John Daly. Anyway, last Sunday, my wife and I and Carmine go out to Marlboro, New Jersey. And we visit our friends, the Silversteins. And they're serving all sorts of stuff, drinks, you know, beer, White Claw. And there's a couple of spiked Arnold Palmers. And I say the same thing to Brian. Brian's a golfer. I said, Brian, this is not right. He said, I know. He said, it should be a call to John Daly. Before I even said anything, he knew what I was going to say. So I don't know how this company... And I think it might be Miller. I don't know how they get away. Yeah, it's Miller Coors. I don't know how they get away with calling something that should properly be called a John Daly a Spike Arnold Palmer. It's not right. It's not right. But always the fellow with a little bit of ingenuity, much like Saul Goodman after he had a bag thrown over his head by Walter White and Pinkman. And then after he was no longer fearing for his life realized that maybe there was some money to be made. After I got over my shock of drinking an Arnold Palmer, a spiked Arnold Palmer, instead of a John Daly, I said to my wife, why don't we market and sell some, some John Daly's to compete directly with the spiked Arnold Palmers? And she didn't like the idea. But I do like it. I think this might be a good way for me to earn some extra money. I don't know if I have to pay John Daly Uh, I don't know if – I'm not sure if John Daly's still alive, but um, I I think if they're going to serve this – yes, he's still alive. He's only 56. Good. Okay, good for him. But if they're going to serve these drinks, it should be called the proper thing. And if no one's going to sell a John Daly, I should be the one selling a John Daly. I think this could be a good side hustle for me. I don't know. Uh, 800-848-9222, that's 800 9222 By the way, I, the New York Post has this image from space. Um, An astronaut or some astronauts and satellites capture the beauty of Aurora Borealis from space. And it is breathtaking. I have just tweeted it. If you want to see that image, go to my Twitter, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. All right. Any subject is fair game. There's one, two, three, four, five open lines. Let me say hello to Steve in Manhattan. Hello, Steve.
5: Did Anybody ask Jack Daniels how he feels about this Frankie baby. Now, first, let me address the uh, national audience because you have a lot of new people coming in. There is at least 100 Steve from Manhattan imitators calling talk radio. Yes. When you hear somebody say that I made this call, I made that call. Usually it's the imitator doing it. Now, Frank, we're in the middle of August, right? And it's we've been having some nice weather lately. Um, half the country's on vacation. The other half's on welfare. Why don't we have some fun tonight and just go wild with gas and let people get at Steve?
0: Yeah, you know, Steve, you had your fill yesterday, calling on three different lines. It was just too much. Mike is in Lake George. Hello, Mike. That's so funny, uh, Frank, and, and Gamaro.
4: I was going to bring up Steve from Manhattan. How you doing, Steve? Well, I, I hung Listen, up.
0: Around.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know. I listened to the fan for years. I listened to uh, Steve uh, WABC. Hey, Steve, let me ask you a question. You, you call up yesterday. And you say Mike from Lake George. You call up with different names and different locations. And every once in a while, like you did now, you called up Steve from Manhattan. I still think you got civil personality. You got multiple personalities. Okay, why not just stick with your name and say the subject that you want to speak about? Because, you know what, uh, I've never heard somebody like you, When I've listened to the radio, I'm 68 years old, for many years. So I don't know what the deal is, Steve. You know, maybe next time I call, I'll say I'm Steve from Manhattan. I won't do that. So, you know what, just, you know, you just chill out, man, and just take it easy and call your own name instead of anonymous and, and, and idiotic phone calls.
0: All right, well, th- you, thank you, Mike. I don't want to necessarily... Um encourage or stoke the flames on any caller-on-caller caller feuds. But I let Mike go there for a while because if anybody can handle it, it's Steve. If anyone deserves it, let's face it, it's Steve. And um, and Steve has no problem, as Mike made clear, impersonating Mike from Lake George. So, you know, I feel like Mike from Lake George was uh, entitled to uh, say his piece a little bit. All right. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.
1: midnight. 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 It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. Marano.
7: It's about
0: damn time. I tell you, you know who is a strong candidate for the greatest person ever? Uh, William Shatner, as I've said. And um, William Shatner, I'm pretty sure this is entirely tongue in cheek because he did this on The Daily Show, which is sort of a comedy show. And he did something called they do I don't watch the Daily Show, but they have this long running installment called The Daily Showography a di- a lo- a series of short films on great men and they enlisted a very special narrator the great william shatner and evidently he <laughs> used the next several minutes to mockingly make the case that elon musk might actually be a supervillain listen to this what do you think of
1: when you think of the future is it
0: space travel,
1: robots, trucks with the word cyber in front of them? Whatever your vision, there is one man working to make it a reality. He's part Thomas Edison, part Iron Man, part annoying dude in the group chat, and is anything but your standard CEO. I changed my title to to Techno King. And, and by the way, this is a formal SEC filing. It's, I'm legally a formal whatever, techno-king. Um, I just did that as kind of like a joke. Yes, he's a techno-king, but as a joke. And soon we'll all be his service, but in a funny way. Because while he may be an eccentric, satellite-launching, terminally online billionaire who wants to plug people into computers and build a vast network of underground tunnels, it's not like he's some kind of supervillain. Eventually, you can transform Mars into an Earth-like planet. Drop thermonuclear weapons over the poles. Well, maybe a little. So, strap in. Turn
0: on the autopilot, but keep your hands on the steering wheel in case of pedestrians So, that was pretty funny. Uh, By the way, speaking of Star Trek, the rumor is that uh, there could be a Star Trek Deep Space Nine in the offing. A revival. A revival of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Or they say that... um, it's going to be featured on the next season of Lower Decks. Now, I have not seen Lower Decks. That's one of the current Star Trek series that's on now. It's an animated series. I'm told it's very good. My brother Nick uh, loves it. He's a Star Trek fan and a very, has very discriminating tastes. And uh, he says it's very good. I haven't seen it. But um, he says Lower Decks is worth seeing. So I'm going to check it out one of these days. But apparently in the next season, Deep Space Nine is featured. alright four eight nine two two two. Joe is in Ron Kankama. Hello, Joe.
4: Hey, Frank, another great show. I want to wish you a great weekend. Thank you. I, uh, I donated to your uh, Tunnels to Tower thing yesterday. Oh, that's very nice. Uh, Thank you. Well, I, I'm a big supporter of them. I think what they do is great for uh, widowers and uh, people that need help. Uh, Mr. Siller, Siller is a a, uh, a genuine individual like yourself. And uh, I just wanted to call, like I said, uh, enjoy your weekend. Uh, the show, I I found really riveting tonight. It was really good. And I'm looking forward to listening to Brian when he comes on later. But um, have a great weekend, Frankie.
0: Uh, thanks, Joe. You too. Yeah, Brian Kilmeade uh, coming up in about 35 minutes. Very much looking forward to that. Brian's a great guy. And we usually chat with him on Thursdays, but he had something yesterday. So we'll get his take on the news of the day in just a minute. And, you know, it's funny. We did that segment yesterday on quiet quitting. Today, that story was everywhere. And um, it was it was in one of the online lo- newsletters I read, and then Brian Kilmeade did a whole thing on his sto- his show. I was wondering if he was listening as as we were coming in, but he actually interviewed Mike Rowe, the guy from Dirty Jobs, about quiet quitting. So I thought that was uh, I thought that was interesting. So maybe we'll chat with him about that. All right, eight hundred eight right. 800-848-9222. That's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Let me say hello to Amir in Boston. Hello, Amir. Hey, buddy.
4: Quick question. If it turns out that what was – if Trump if – his people took what was top, top secret, which cannot be declassified and cannot be taken out of the White House, is Trump then in trouble? I'm just
0: curious. Well, uh, it ha- it has nothing to do—there's three potential—I'm not a lawyer, and we're going to have some judges and legal analysts on next week, and we'll analyze this. But it has okay. nothing to do with classification. A president can declassify whatever he wants, and apparently Trump did issue an executive order saying that um, all this information—anything that he took in- to Mar-a-Lago was declassified. So he can declassify whatever he wants. However— there's still the matter of exposing top secret national security information. It, it, there, that's the law. There are apparently three laws that they're investigating him for, and we, it's difficult to know the circumstances without seeing the affidavit that led to the circu- that led to the search warrant, or without knowing what the documents say. So we're all just kind of making this stuff up. Certainly doesn't sound good, uh, but we don't know what they are. So who knows? Uh, well, hopefully we'll know more n- next week. I was happy the judge yesterday approved the redacted version of that um, affidavit being revealed. And I'm looking forward to seeing what it says. 800-848-9222. That's 800 800-848-922. 848 22 uh the original rick is in new jersey hello original rick
5: yes good morning frank let me get this
8: straight before i say anything did you say you want to be a judge but without having been a
3: lawyer first that's right okay i think it's a terrible
0: idea all right well i respect your opinion rick but in my judgment i'm gonna have to hang up on you i don't need detractors like you around here rick I'm issuing fatwas all the time. I'm commending people. I'm denouncing people. Do you realize how difficult it is to exercise this kind of judgment? You think I need a law degree? Please. Please. Give me a break. All right. Brian Kilmeade uh, in about 35 minutes. The $1,000 minute coming up. 15 seconds of fame coming up. And some scrambled egg secrets. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Your influence counts. Use it. side of midnight i'm frank moreno one more hour until the weekend starts at least for those of us that work on this show uh we have done this week without our uh producer alex barnard he's out in lake placid somewhere uh matt place what kind of uh review do we give to uh, kenneth who was uh sitting in for
6: alex barnard this week Considering it's the first time he ever did it, mm, yeah. See, I always like that he's disclaimer. New yeah. at it. I ha- well, there has to be a there disclaimer. Okay, be because for somebody who's never done it before, he's doing an okay job. <laughs> I give an that's, okay job. That's not exactly high praise. i praise. Mean, Let be honest. You, you know, no, there. I'll take it. Okay, all right. I'm being honest. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not saying it was horrible. Okay, well, that's very big of you. But um, I'm not saying it's gonna replace
0: Alex. I think um, I think he's done. I think he's done well. Um, you know what? My big, biggest, biggest ask of a producer is uh, don't bother me. Right. That's the one thing (laughs) that I am looking for is just leave me alone. You know, let me do my thing. If you can be helpful, that's great. But my my prime directive, like to keep the Star Trek theme is just don't be harmful. And you'd be surprised at how many people that I've worked with are harmful. And I must say of Kenneth, he has not really been harmful. So oh, that's I think he's been, as far as my perspective, I'm sure there's all sorts of behind the scenes stuff that I'm not privy to. But as far as uh, my perspective goes, he is, uh, I think he's done well. He's done well by yeah. me.
6: And uh, I, I don't know that people realize that, you know, I'm, uh, I'm here before you cause I'm, I do Dominic and then and, and Rita yeah. first. You and I do not talk at I know, all. I know. Until I, w- you sit down. I wish we could talk a little more. <laughs> a little I think bit. That more. would be helpful. A little bit. But yeah. even before that, when when I wasn't doing Reed and do, or, Dom, or just doing Dominic and you would come in, we didn't really talk all that much. I let you do your thing, yeah, preparing for the show, and then that was it, right? But yeah, we could talk a little bit, Look, and now we have a little bit of time more than we had before. What before, before the, the show?
0: show? No, we don't. Don't you? Well, we, we just... have the
6: five. We have some time. Five minutes. Yeah, five minutes. That's not anything. I mean, you well, gonna... you need more than that.
0: Yeah. I, well, I mean, maybe you would like the option. Uh-huh. All right. Uh-huh. Not important. Not important. Brian Kilmead coming up in about twenty-seven minutes. Uh, but, you know, speak, speaking of this whole UFO theme that uh, the whole world is interested in, I'm certainly interested in it. Greg Kelly, who you could hear on uh, who's nationally syndicated, but you could hear him on W.A.B.C. in New York uh, every uh, every afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern. He uh, was talking a little bit about UFOs the other day this is what he said.
3: Maybe even the men in outer space. Marvin, what's up? And-
5: questions. Why is there a UFO cover-up for 50 years, number one? <laughs> number two, two questions. Why is WABC radio blocked out where I live? Because we have roof antennas, uh, microwaves, uh, antennas on the roof. Can you explain those two things?
3: <laughs> you want me to explain, You, you number one, you're, you're telling me there's been a UFO cover-up for 50 years, and you want me to explain why? All right, I can't help you on that one. I don't know if I don't know if I believe. I don't believe that there's been a UFO cover up. I don't.
4: Why are they covering it up for fifty years? I,
3: I, I, you say it. I don't know what it is. I've actually been. Hey, hey, listen to me. Listen to me. Have you ever been to Area Fifty One?
5: I've seen the pictures.
3: You've seen the pictures. Well, I've seen. Well, actually, there's some things I can't say right now because they're classified. Mm. Let me just say this. I know a bit more about this than you do, and uh, there ain't no extraterrestrial uh, proof. Of uh, anything. There's no proof of extraterrestrial life on Earth. UFOs, to the extent they are UFOs, unidentified flying objects, are uh, man-made phenomenon. They're not from other planets. Are you okay with that, Marvin? Do you accept that?
5: I'm not okay with that. It's a 50-year cover-up.
3: I know, 50-year cover-up. Well, Richard Nixon was really into UFOs, apparently. And he showed Jackie Gleason around. He showed Jackie Gleason. I I don't know. Listen, pal. I don't buy it.
0: Now. I thought that was a really interesting exchange. Now, Greg, he's kind of, um, he has, I guess you'd call it a dry sense of humor, right? And I I appreciate that because I think I have kind of a dry sense of humor. It's a lot of times difficult to tell if Greg is joking or not. I couldn't tell whether he was joking when he said he's been to Area 51 and I know more about this than you do. I mean, but based on his tone there, it sounded like maybe he was telling the truth, so maybe he does have some inside information, or maybe he
6: was just busting chops, and he was a pilot, yeah, but okay, a lot of people are pilots. What does that mean in the military?
0: yeah, there's a lot of military uh-huh. they, yeah, they,
6: they there are, but they
0: don't escort every every uh marine pilot to area fifty one but he could have been there. it's possible. But so that's my question. You think he was joking, or you think he was being sincere? There,
6: I think he was being sincere. You
0: do. Okay, yeah. he sounded kind of sincere. I, I I've always tended to agree with Marvin that the government is hiding something. But what do I know? I do think. By the way, that photo that we were talking about in that interview with uh, Andrew Robinson, who our program director Matt Meany, referred to as Sullivan, he uh, the, the story by Doctor David Clark. And I'm hoping we can get Dr. David Clark on the show. He doesn't believe it's an alien. He believes it's something like a a government spacecraft of some sort. Some high-end experimental spacecraft. But who knows? 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. All right, this is interesting. Forget about aliens. Forget about politics. Forget about um, Alex Barnard. One of the most interesting stories I saw last week in the New York Times, was all about extra creamy scrambled eggs. They posted this recipe. And for some reason, I, you know, when I finished reading the paper, I read the actual paper, I threw it away because I have a time subscription. I figured I'd just be able to read it online afterwards. But for some reason, I guess the New York Times cooking articles are so popular that they make you pay extra to subscribe to the cooking article. So my New York Times subscription does not work to permeate the cooking article. So I can't read this whole thing. But they they had this article all about how to make extra creamy scrambled eggs. And it included potato starch or cornstarch. And basically, you add half the butter cubes to a starch mixture, add eggs and salt, and then you whisk. I had never seen a scrambled egg recipe with potato starch. And it got me thinking. I have kind of my own method for making scrambled eggs, but I'm always really curious about what other people like to do that's different. And that produces some sort of an unusual result. So anyway, somebody sent me an email. I, you know what it is? With social media, they show you news based on the algorithm of news that you look at. And a friend of mine recently, he's a married guy, so I'm not going to say his name and embarrass him. But he said, you know, I can't understand why on Instagram I keep getting these beautiful women in, in bikinis and bathing suits in my feed all the time. And I said, well, so-and-so, the guy's, uh, his name's not Joe, but I said, Joe, that's because you clicked like on a bunch of these photos, and now that's what Instagram is showing you. He says, oh, well, that's the algorithm. Who am I to argue with the algorithm? I like the algorithm. Well, I guess I because I must research on social media or on the YouTube different ways of cooking eggs, not just scrambled, but omelet and every other variety – Now, they have on Facebook these reels. All that comes up is different reels of people cooking scrambled eggs and other types of eggs. And I saw an interesting reel yesterday or two days ago of somebody making, I call it scrambled, some people call it scrambled, but someone making scrambled eggs and scrambling it in the frying pan. Now, I've done that before, but I've always been afraid to admit it. And I think it comes pretty well. One of my secrets to scrambled eggs, it has nothing to do with potato starch. One of the things that I've done about five, six years ago, maybe more, I made a very important step when it came to scrambled eggs and omelets. From the time I was a child, and I think a lot of people have done this, I would always, you, you would always add milk or half and half to the scrambled eggs before you scrambled them. It turns out you don't have to do this. And so six or seven years ago, I stopped. I stopped adding milk or half and half or water. And I am convinced that they just did this to get more egg mixture years ago. Because I did, years ago, a taste test, six years ago, between scrambled eggs made with milk, made with half and half, and then made with none. And you want to know something? The fluffier, the creamier was the one without the milk and without the half and half. So I stopped cold turkey. That's my secret. No milk. But I I want to try this cornstarch. Now, I'm curious if you have any scrambled egg tips. Something that you do that most people don't do, a tip, a strategy, something interesting. It's the weekend. uh, Maybe on Saturday, people are going to have a little bit more leisurely breakfast. They don't have to run out of the house, just grab a cereal bar and get the kids off to school. They get to take their time. That's certainly the case in our house. Saturday is the only leisurely breakfast day in our house we're not running out the door to go to, you know, church. We're not sleeping at different schedules in their house. It's a leisurely day. So I'm imagining a lot of people have scrambled eggs on their agenda for Saturday morning. Let's give them some tips. 800 uh, 848 year For years, I've been watching this video of Gordon Ramsay on the YouTube. And he does some very interesting things with scrambled eggs. And... Regardless of what you think about Gordon Ramsay, I thought some of his tips in this video were pretty interesting.
7: The secret behind the scrambled egg is to start it on a nice sort of um, generous heat. Take it off the heat. Go back to the heat. Take it off the heat. And treat it like a risotto. You can't stop stirring. It's live. You've got to really work at it. So
0: that's his trick. On the heat, off the heat. On the heat, off the heat. And um, I've tried that a couple times. It works well. And never stops stirring. So those are his two tips. And then it's not in the audio that we just played you. But in that video, he also adds creme fraiche to his scrambled eggs, which I don't really do. Um, But, you know, I I don't think I've tried it even with the creme fraiche. But uh, I think we're out of eggs in our house. Yesterday, we just had uh, egg whites. Although my wife uh, did try this egg replacement called Just Egg because she likes JB Smooth uh, JB Smooth from Kirby Enthusiasm so he's the spokesman for this Just Egg uh which is made from um I don't remember what it's made from but it's pretty healthy though so um she tried that it was good it's dairy free cholesterol free and uh, it was um really interesting so <clears throat> um Maybe if I go to the supermarket today to pick up eggs, I'll also pick up a little creme fraiche to try the Gordon Ramsay method. So that's his method. Heat on, heat off, and creme fraiche. Anthony Bourdain, God rest his soul. Being careful not to overbeat them uh, with the fork.
1: Uh, You do want to sort of have a ripple of uh, white and yellow throughout. You just don't want to make it a complete sort of homogenous yellow Always fresh, also very important. You want a good, fresh egg, and you want to do this, meaning you want to beat your egg just prior to putting them in the pan. You don't want to do that ahead of time and let it sit. That, you get this sort of odd, graying, stippling effect that's uh, you probably recognize from greasy spoons. Uh,
0: you don't want that. So that was interesting. Uh, by the way, the ingredient that I was trying to remember in that egg replacement, just egg, is mung beaten protein. That's what that egg uh, replacement is made with, mung bean protein. I have to tell you, it was pretty good. And so it's healthy, it's cholesterol-free, and, you know, but it was pretty good. So if you're looking to cut down on your, your eggs, try, try this Just Egg. Uh, they're not an advertiser or anything, but if you don't have a problem with mung bean protein, try that. It was pretty good. So you have the Gordon Ramsay strategy of creme fraiche, heat on, heat off, never stop whisking. Anthony Bourdain, God rest his soul, says, don't make it all yellow. Have a mixture of yellow and white and beat the eggs just prior to making them. Martha
3: Stewart. I find that the secret to light and fluffy scrambled eggs is to cook them over at low heat and keep them moving in the skillet. And use enough butter to make them not stick. And this will ensure that the eggs do not take on any color. And that they remain golden.
0: Butter so that they don't stick. And same thing as uh, Gordon Ramsay. Never stop moving. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two. What's your egg tip? Uh, Ed on Staten Island. Hello, Ed. Hey, how
2: are you?
7: I'm well. Thank
2: you. My tip is, you know, obviously, you know, a little butter in the skillet, a splash of heavy cream or half and half, and then... Uh, stir the eggs slowly over low heat until they sort of change color into like a light mustard color, and then they come out very creamy.
0: Okay, wait, so. um, Almost like the
2: Martha Stewart version. Okay,
0: all right, okay, I like it. Okay, by the way, this person just uh, messaged me on Twitter, Lane Razima. He says, I've never heard this before, add a teaspoon of lemon juice to your scrambled eggs. You won't taste the lemon, but the eggs will be amazing. I have never heard that. I have never tried that. I can't vouch for that. I don't know if this is some sort of an elaborate prank. I don't know if I'm being punked. I don't know if I'm going to go out, go to the store and purchase some lemon juice with my creme fresh later. And all of a sudden, um, you know, Alan Funt is going to be coming out and saying you're on candid camera. But that's interesting. Lemon juice. And he says, add before cooking while you're whisking the eggs. Never heard of that. Um, Chef Tom is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Chef Tom.
5: Then you would have lemon.
0: Alex in Brooklyn. Hello, Alex.
2: Hey, Frank. Thanks for taking the call. First of all, I I make the Gordon Ramsay scrambled eggs a lot of times, but I... Substitute the creme fraiche with um, a, a half a stick of sweet butter, and I put that in, and I make it like he does. But I also have my own way of making scrambled eggs, which is not uh, that it should come out fluffy. It's just I add in sauteed onions and baked sweet potato in cubed and cubed in small pieces. I put that in, and anybody that heard about it they said it doesn't sound good and then i had them try it and they said that it was just absolutely delicious baked sweet
0: potatoes that's
3: interesting
2: baked sweet potato but sliced and you bake it sliced and then you put it into the eggs it's just it's, it's it's i've never had better eggs than that and you have it on a spelt roll with cream cheese and maybe some avocado on top but uh not everybody would go for the avocado on top of it but uh, that's my way of making scrambled eggs Huh. It just takes time.
0: I, I, I sounds interesting to me. All right, thank you, Alex. What's your scrambled egg recipe? 800-848-9222. That's one eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Well, what's your story, Mister uh, Matt Blaze? Are you a uh, an egg guy?
6: Yeah, I do it the way you do. I I don't put any milk in it, but I have found using skim milk does make it fluffier. Well, then
0: why don't well, you use it?
6: Because I usually don't have milk in my house.
0: Oh well, that's. But that's,
6: if I did, see, then I would use. But I usually just make it the way you do.
0: Well, see, my you know way is strategic. You're doing it based on circumstances.
6: And I like it. And I also put American cheese.
0: Oh, in, in, my goodness. In Get in out of here. American cheese. Of course. No, please. I, you you. I, I, think I think can't you. deal. I can't deal. You American don't put cheese. any... We, 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 you just have plain eggs? No. I'll put real cheese in there. <laughs> What's real cheese? A- anything that's not American cheese. Cheddar, like? Swiss, mozzarella, uh, Monterey Jack. You na- American cheese is not a cheese. American cheese is an abomination. It's an insult to both America and cheese. It's, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's terrible, in my opinion. 800-848-9222. Rick is in Elmwood, New Jersey. Hello, Rick.
4: Hey, how you doing? I'm just trying desperately to get in touch with the guys over on Fox, like Gutfeld and uh, um, Tucker Carlson, because I really want to help them out with the facts on the global warming climate change scam.
0: All right, so what would you like me to do?
4: I'd like to I'd like just to pass my name and number on to Brian and ask him to pass it on to the guys at Fox to give me a call so I can let them question me, I can give them answers. If they wanted I could come on the show and debate anyone in the audience that believes it's true. I'll take on scientists, I'll take on anybody.
0: Well, do you have any expertise in global warming?
4: I have eight years researching climate science on my own
0: right. uh, well give uh give i'll put you on hold give uh, ryan your number and i we i can't you know i can't give you to the fox people but maybe we'll have you debate somebody on this show that knows about climate change i don't know i don't have any connection with the fox getting on fox if i did that i'd be on fox obviously i wouldn't waste my connection on a caller that i just met i would use it to get myself on tv but um but uh, And Brian listens, and a lot of the Fox people listen on their way in. So I've, I'm sure if he's interested, he will ask Ryan for your information. Take Rick's number, if you would, 800 uh 9222 Brian Kilmeade is coming up, by the way, at uh, in about 10 minutes. I'm looking forward to that conversation as well. Janice is in Brooklyn. Hello, Janice. Hi, Frank.
4: Hi. I was wondering if you remember... The episode
0: in
4: the Sopranos where scrambled
0: eggs was in there. What was that? The one with Ralphie? Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. I don't remember his method for making them, uh, but yeah. um, but well, I do remember the episode because that was pretty dramatic. Okay. Oh, I remember. Wait, wait. Does he use sour what? cream? Right. Yes, I do remember cream. that actually, and I've done that. I, That's pretty good.
4: I I've, I was going to do it too, but after watching. Ralphie got hit over the head and, you know, dismembered. I could never do it. Well, I always thought back to that recipe.
0: Well, I've done it, and I did not get hit over the head. Janice, when you say something like that, I realize the show has not been on the air for a while. You're supposed to say, spoiler alert. You can't be giving out spoilers to classic episodes of The Sopranos. It's frowned upon. Cannot do it. I will not stand for it. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Uh, that's 800-848-9222. Ryan, you can put Rick on hold and actually service the callers that are calling in on the topic. You don't have to put Rick, you know, make him the key priority, being his publicist. I mean, we're doing him a favor. You you, you don't need to bring the show to a grinding halt. You can keep Rick on hold while, you know, Gene Camp and Donald Keen and wireless Caller try to get on on the show. Talk to those people. Um... You can also email me if uh, Brian has put you on hold for to service Rick's public relations needs. You can email me at uh, Frank at wabcradio.com. That's Frank at wabcradio.com. Uh, Barb writes for crying out loud, for, for crying out loud, Frank. Now you're yakking scrambled eggs. It's 4.20 a.m. If it ain't pizza, it's egg salad, omelets, or grilled cheese. Now scrambled eggs. Frank, you're torturing us. Well, I'm not torturing you. There's a lot of people that are going to have scrambled eggs this weekend. I'm trying to to help them out. Um, By the way, so our program director has been hanging around all day, which is great because, you know, I like people to see how hard we're working and everything. But um, that means we can have our weekly meeting right after the show, which means that we won't have to stick around till seven. However, same situation. I booked a breakfast at nine nine thirty this morning, so I have to stick around till nine thirty anyway. Now I don't mind, except for the fact that now we will have to blah, park. Blah
5: blah 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 blah
0: blah. But I uh, maybe I'll, I'll grab a nap in the meantime. I'm going to go to that beach cafe. This morning, and so if, uh, if anybody's around, maybe I'll see you. Tom is in Westchester. Hello, Tom. Hi, Frank.
2: Long time no speak. Nice to talk with you again. Likewise, so on the subject
7: Tom. of um, scrambled eggs, I
2: pretty much follow the Gordon Ramsay way. Um, the
7: other thing I like to do, though, is leave it on the heat for a little while after it's sort of fluffed up on top and just slightly brown the bottom of it, and then I like a dollop of pesto
2: on top.
0: Pesto? I love pesto. Me too. I
2: mean, I would have assumed without even asking you that you probably love pesto. I do,
0: yeah. I'm a pesto fanatic. I love, um, and you know, I love it so much that we actually can't keep it in the house because I will just eat it all day long. What I like to do yeah, is too. when there's leftover pizza and um, I'll finish eating the pizza, I save the crust and I dip the crust in pesto.
4: Yeah, I, I do
2: that, too, man. I, sometimes I'll make a piece of toast and just put pesto oh, on it. No, no butter, no nothing.
0: I love it. That's good. Thank you, uh, Tom. You know, I just got a, um, a direct message on the Twitter from Tanya Ryman, who is a body language expert. She says her secret is to add baking soda to the scrambled eggs. Huh. I never tried that. Never heard of that. That's interesting. Ray is in Brentwood. What's your secret? Hey, good morning,
5: Frank. Yes, uh, I don't know if uh, you mentioned it already, because I just turned on the radio. So anyway, I cut up some scallions, put them in some uh, butter, heat them up in butter. And I put, then I put it on low. And then
4: I put the eggs in, and
5: then I put cream cheese. Oh, cream, cream cheese, cheese. Mix it together.
0: Uh-huh. Okay, I've done that. That's and, a good uh,
5: one. It's, it's great. I learned that from American Land. From where? American Airlines. So. American Airlines. Yeah, when I used to cook for them.
0: They put cream at American Airlines. They put cream cheese in the eggs.
5: Well, they used to like thirty years ago when I worked there.
0: Huh? I didn't that know that. That
5: was the uh, the first class, the first class breakfast.
0: Wow, that sounds great. Thank you, Ray. Nancy's in Breezy Point, a wonderful community. Hello, Nancy. Hello, Frank. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. Sure, I love your show. Thank
3: you.
4: I have a great method, the fluffiest scrambled eggs ever. You put four tablespoons of olive oil in a nonstick pan. Heat the olive oil up till it's shimmering, very hot. Pour the scrambled eggs in, take it off the heat. they fluff up like a souffle. awesome.
0: okay well, and so then that's it at it what takes point two, do you, two minutes At what point do you take it off the heat? Uh, once you once you. Put the eggs in, you'll
4: see them rise like a souffle. You stir them once and, and they're done. The olive you have to heat mm-hmm. the olive oil up till it's almost smoking. It's shimmering.
0: Okay. So shimmering olive oil. Put the eggs in. Don't stir the eggs until they rise. Stir them once and then leave it. Yes.
4: Okay. And they're the fluffiest, creamiest eggs, and they're healthy. Olive oil is better than butter.
0: Thank you, Nancy. David and Yonkers, hello.
5: Yeah. Hi, Frank. So my mother's favorite recipe, you grate some zucchini and cut up some onions, cook them for about a minute or two, then throw in the eggs and, uh, and scramble it and then let it chill. You put it in the refrigerator and you eat it
0: cold. Delicious. All right. All right. Yeah, his phone was a little weird. I, I I didn't get all that. Peter in the Bronx. Hello.
4: Hey, Frank, we, the best thing you need is a great nonstick pan, and the, the greatest ingredients are, are avocado, bacon, and Swiss with your eggs. Tastes fantastic.
0: Oh, thank thank you, Peter. You know, I'm not a big bacon guy. I know that's um, an unpopular opinion in some quarters, but I'm not a, a big bacon person, honestly. And bacon's really, it's not not good for you. I mean, not that any of what we're talking about is super healthy, but bacon is, eh, it's not for me. All right, Um thousand dollar minute and brian kilmeade in a moment you want to win a thousand dollars and you think you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds call right now 800-848-9222 if you are the seventh caller to 800-848-9222 then you will get an opportunity to win a thousand dollars by answering 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds quick as that and then brian kilmeade will break down the news of the day for us straight ahead
1: the other side of midnight with frank morano
0: So this song I'm very familiar with, uh, Thank God It's Friday. But what I didn't know, and it's very appropriate on a Friday, I did not know that it's from a motion picture, Thank God It's Friday. You know, it's so funny. Last Friday, when we were waiting around for our meeting to start, we got into a whole discussion about what songs were written for films that were better known For the 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 song became better known than the film, and I think this would certainly fit the bill. All right, uh, we're going to talk to Brian Kilmeade in just a moment, but first, it is time for
1: the other side of midnight presents. It's the thousand dollar minute. Answer ten questions correctly in one minute, and you could win one thousand dollars. Here's your host, Frank
0: Marano. Uh Let's meet today's contestant, George in Patterson, New Jersey. Hello, George. Hello, Frank. How are you? I'm great, George. George, are you familiar with this game? I am. I do f- listen. Great. Okay. So uh, I think you're going to do really well today. I feel good about these questions. And uh, the caller yesterday, she did well. She almost won. So hopefully you can do even better. Okay? You ready to go? Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. What shape is the earth? Round. What holiday marks the unofficial start of summer? Memorial Day. What state is Mar-a-Lago in? Florida. What NBA basketball player has scored the most career points? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. What character does James Earl Jones voice in Star Wars? Darth Vader. Who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird? Uh,
5: Woman. I lost it.
0: Take a guess. Starts with H. First name starts with H. Harper.
3: Yep, don't have it. Sorry.
0: All right. Well, you, a valiant effort. Harper Lee is the um, Lee. is the yeah. uh, name I yeah. think you were looking for. All right. Uh, you made it up to question six. You did well, though, George. I'm going to put you on hold. Give, uh, give Ryan Modica your information, and we will uh, give you a consolation prize. All right? All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, George. Thank you. By the way, if anybody else wants a complimentary Other Side of Midnight uh, T-shirt, you can go to uh, WABCRadioStore.com. That's WABCRadioStore.com. There's a lot of stuff from a lot of the great hosts there, including uh, including me. Hey, by the way, yesterday at this time, we were talking about the New York City Redistricting Commission, and I was talking about how I was on the fence between appearing – in person or via zoom ultimately i did the right thing i appeared via zoom and i was i was terrified that they were going to cut me off at 3 minutes cuz you can do that via zoom you can't do that in person cuz you just keep going and so um they were really good they let me go a little more than 3 minutes The chairman of the commission, Dennis Walcott, by the end was saying, all right, can you start to wrap up here? But he did it politely. He let me finish. So um, I'll see if I can get the video of that and maybe post it on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Morano fan. I think I did well, but then here's what happened. One of the commissioners asked me a while ago about coming on, and I said, no, it's kind of a local issue. But then he complimented me today I said, all right, I think I did well. And then he said, well, if you, know, if you want me to do that on the radio with you, we can get into it. And I think it maybe he was just being nice to get on the radio, so I'm not so sure. Hey, somebody that is uh, always nice, and he's always on the radio or TV, is uh, Brian Kilmeade, a co-anchor of Fox & Friends, New York Times best-selling author. He's on television and radio more hours than I'm awake, and now he's launching a national tour as well. Brian, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. It's great to talk to you on a Friday. Yeah, what's going
7: on, Frank? How are you? Uh, Quite a bit going on, quite a bit. You've had a a busy week, right? Yeah, I've had a busy week uh, personally, professionally. I'm I'm in a week personally where I'm dropping two kids off at college, Uh, one more to go tonight, and then um, heading to New Orleans tonight after the shows. So uh, my son's going to be going to college over in uh, Louisiana. So we're flying out getting him settled and my daughter's getting set with uh with uh college soccer so it's been a crazy thing while while still working so it's uh my my brother went and to and they're um, ready to go yeah. And then we'll, we'll be set Almost by Monday. We're back to normal.
0: Excellent. OK. My brother went to Loyola in New Orleans. So I'm going to get I'm going to get some recommendations of uh, places to make sure your your son stays away from while you're out. While
7: he's right. Out Stay there. away from. Exactly. Right. Well, like every major city, uh, that's crime is the big thing, too. I mean, I'm looking at all these crime stats uh, in New Orleans. Not good. No, that's for sure. Um, it's not great in New York either.
0: And That seems to be the uh, the major consistent uh, the major consistent thing in cities around the uh, the country. Now, w- what do you have coming up uh, this weekend on uh, on the Saturday show?
7: Well, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I give part two of a fun piece on Elvis and, and oh. why he, you know, of course, the movies uh, leading the box office still, and you know, it is Elvis Week, the anniversary of his. Uh, of his passing, so I went to Graceland. But then I was just stunned to find out what he's meant to Memphis. So not only on Elvis Week, but nonstop, they haven't changed anything he did. The the diners he went to, the restaurants he had, uh, he always uh, frequented uh, the clubs he went to, uh, Beale Street where he was heavily influenced in music by BB B. King. So I went and did another part of it in the town in the city. Also, I did not know he was one of the first supporters of Danny Thomas in St Jude, also in Memphis. So we'll have some fun there. But I'm going to be joined by Trey Gowdy. He's going to break down what Republicans got to do. They seem to have lost a lot of their momentum uh, when it comes to uh, not so much the House, but the Senate. And it seems that abortion has emerged as the number one issue. And they're not bringing up crime, which is destroying... The city we're talking in, no, de- I mean, absolutely destroying uh, this city. The no cash bail and this idiot governor talking more about let's make it salesperson instead of salesman, and let's not use the word inmate. It makes criminals feel bad. And then uh, we'll talk about that. Also, going to talk to Alan Dershowitz how this Trump obsessed media. Listen, uh, Donald Trump is is an intriguing figure, like uh, Mike Tyson in boxing, like Tiger Woods <laughs> in golf. I get it. But those are not the major issues in either one of those sports. And Donald Trump is not the number one issue in politics. They're doing it to get ratings. You know what the number one issue is? The crime that we're bringing up, the inflation that indeed matters, that's running over this country, the money that's bleeding into the Ukraine, Afghanistan one year later, uh, this ridiculous inflation act that just passed – And everyone's like, well, Donald Trump's got his CFO at 75 years old, did something over the course of 50 years and put his children's private schooling on the business. So let's put him in Rikers Island. And everyone's obsessed with Trump. I'm just amazed at this, Frank. Well, if that, you flip the channels, That was all one they of the, do is talk about Trump. Well, that
0: was one of the, the key things uh, that a lot of analysts said about his 2016 campaign, is all the coverage that he got, including the negative coverage, amounted to something along the lines of $5 billion in free free television coverage, that if he had to pay for that amount of coverage, uh, forget about it. It would be mo- more than any campaign uh, ever had in history. It, isn't it a little different with trump though just because he is at this point probably the leading republican candidate for president in 2024 so i i understand that a lot of the the press especially those that cover him negatively are doing it for clicks or to sell books or to yeah. get tv ratings or to get shares on social media but isn't he
7: a legitimate pre- uh, issue because he is a strong presidential candidate a legitimate issue and but not the only issue mm-hmm. And because you continued to say, let's look at what's happening in Georgia. Let's look what's happening uh, in the Trump organization. Let's see what's going on with that rate. Yeah. Okay. But the bottom line is when people go to shop, when people go for a job, the workforce is barely over 60 percent of people going. uh, A million people have not signed up for school in Manhattan. They have just disappeared. Less people are signing up for college. We have this quiet quitting that's going on with this new generation of non-workers in our country. We see what's happening with China, Taiwan, their alliance with Russia, the takeover that's happening in Europe, this slow move towards uh, towards. Away from fossil fuels, which is folly, which is going to jack up our prices in everything we do. The money that just got jammed, the bill that just got jammed down our throats. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just stunned that the American people are go okay, that's fine. That if, if you want an escape, do it. But Donald Trump's running for president. Absolutely. And I'm talking about people defending him, too. Uh, there's not many people defending him elsewhere besides our channels and, and, and 77 WABC. But. When people do defend him, that is yet that's another forty five minutes. Oh no! Oh, believe me, I I, I hear
0: it from uh, both sides: the uh, Trump critics and the Trump devotees, and it's uh, it's just as tiresome on both sides. I have to be honest. But um, we'll talk with Brian Kilmeade, and uh, if you want to know uh, when Brian's coming to a town near you, you can uh, check out the uh, Brian Brian dot com. There's tour dates on there, and uh, puts on a great live performance. It is interesting, Brian. You know, I've had the opportunity to see you perform live, and you have an incredible stage presence and really a great way of uh, telling a story. And a lot of people may not know this, that you there was a time in your career where you tried your hand at stand-up comedy and got pretty good reviews. I'm curious. Obviously, you do a lot of serious journalism, but how important is entertainment and stage presence to the kind of work you're doing on TV and
7: radio on a daily basis? Well, I mean, what, what I was doing is, you know, my first job was sports phone, nine seven six one three one three, So I had to supplement the income. Also, I wanted to get better. And when you wait for that job, you can't wait for uh, WABC to call for the opening to happen, for them to say, hey, take three hours here. So the one thing you can get on the offensive on, and you don't need a green light, is stand-up. In New York City, there's always a place to go up. And I thought, what better way to memorize, tell a story, read an audience? How could that be bad? So I just said, that'll only make me a better broadcaster to do it. And then I, I felt like I was making progress, moved out to Los Angeles, continued to do that, TV and um, all sports radio at the time. And then when I came back to New York, kept doing it when I was at Newsport, now defunct, so I would work during the day and go up at night when I could. and then. But when I, got, when I was lucky enough in 97 to get this job, you cannot get up at 2.30 in the morning and do stand-up at 10 o'clock right. at night. And you just and what if you're doing going on at seven PM, you're terrible. Not excuse me, I shouldn't say that. They're terrible slots. So if you stay up to ten, you're good, and you get a slot in prime time, that's fantastic. But I can't wait for two and a half hours to do it. So I just thought, let me try to hold on to this job. And that was in ninety seven. I'm still doing this job. So that's the one thing that went by the wayside. But I thought what I do miss is be able to get on stage and that unscripted nature of what you and I are doing now is what I love most. And to be on stage and say, okay, these are the, these are the things I'm working out. I got to see if I'm successful. If I could make these people laugh, uh, regardless, that's always a challenge. And now I thought, what if I, uh, I weave in what we do on radio, what I'm able to do on TV, and put it in a sense of humor and tell a story? I thought that would work, and to be able to talk about my books the six history books, I had no idea the 1619 Project would emerge and our history would be challenged. I thought people would be like, yeah, I don't like your book. I didn't think people would like, I don't believe in our mm. history. Mm. So I thought, okay, let me make this like a mission. A thousand people at a time, let me go and talk about America's story. Not perfect, but it's fascinating what our past is and how we seem to be in schools pushing against it. And that's what's going to start up again in September. You're going to hear about all these stories again in New York how they're going to tell you George Washington should not, like in Virginia, should not be called the father of our country. And James Madison should not be called the father of our Constitution. And we should no longer talk put, um, uh who is now going to be taken off. Patrick Henry's going to be taken off, the latest one to be taken off grammar schools because he had slaves, as opposed to give me liberty or give me death. Uh, so all this stuff that. Now I get on stage, and now I feel like there's an additional reason to do it. Uh, well, it uh, it's quite a show, and uh, I do hope a lot of folks check it out. Uh, how about uh, radio and television today? What are we in store for today? Uh, well, Admiral James Tervetus is going to be uh, joining me. I'm going to be talking about one year since Afghanistan. Mm. Now there's a big push to get journalists out there being targeted. We still have thousands of people still in there. Um, and how nobody has gotten fired in a year. Uh, Mark Thiessen will talk about what we have just talked about, uh, about the Republicans. Where are they going to get their message? Uh, are they going to get it down? And, and Donald Trump is on the ballot in this respect. Uh, Mark Masters is trailing. Dr. Oz is trailing. Herschel Walker is trailing. They were all, uh, Mastriano was trailing in Pennsylvania. They were all pushed by Donald Trump. He had great victories in the primary. We'll, what it means in the general, we'll talk about that. Michael Waltz, a little bit more about Afghanistan, why Florida worked with the CDC. And Bobby Brock will bring us inside media with OutKick. Uh, He's going to talk about what Tiger Woods did addressing the PGA, as well as Brian Stelter out at CNN. Mm. So is that the beginning of a more balanced CNN? My good friend Allison Camerata on at 9 o'clock at night. Uh, uh, Geraldo Rivera will be on with us, too. And, you know, we're going to be talking about all that,
0: Uh, you know, that quiet quitting uh, phenomenon. We talked about that yesterday a little bit. And you were one of the first people that I thought of. And then lo and behold, you did that great interview with uh, with Mike Rowe. But uh, I mean, you're doing the opposite of quiet quitting. You're you're loudly (laughs) unquitting. But uh, where, what does that say about the kind of the workplace culture of young people, especially these days, that this is becoming a trend that folks are actually promoting? I, I mean, it's basically organized slackerism.
7: Wow, I, I, I think you coined a word, Frank. Yeah, well, I, 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 I think you got to take that as yours. I'm taking it. I'm taking it. Spread the word. If yeah. you use it on any
0: of your 900 shows today, please uh, give I me have credit. I pay you. Yes. Let's be honest.
7: I owe you money. I'll take Uh, a free book. Yeah. How about this? Parents. Hey, uh, it's not okay for your kid not to work in the summer. It's not okay for your kid not to have a part-time job if they're going to school part-time. Understand that that you get that work experience and learn how to interact with people and have crazy bosses, good bosses, uh, work, interact with your peers. Uh, The time, okay, we know about the pandemic. We know you were forced to stay home just like anything else. Clear the hurdle. uh, Adjust and, and act. And there's got to be more glory in work. I mean, the Protestant work ethic is something that was on test in school. You don't have to be Protestant, but that's what they did. You came here and you outworked the person next to you. If we lose that, we lose the country. And we got to start pushing that in every aspect of our lives. The good news is for this generation, if you're between uh, 18 and 25 and you have that work ethic, you are going to shine quickly especially at ABC and at Fox, because our jobs, you don't get a lot of money in the beginning, but, man, you have a lot of opportunity. And if you work hard, good under pressure, you have a chance of running a show at 28 years old. You have a chance of hosting a show early on because you just outwork a field that is not as formidable as the 80s and 90s. There's no question. So you have a chance to shine. Be that parent that tells your kid, outwork everyone. The teacher is is right on 99% of the time. Uh, Your boss is somebody to be listened to, and you're the one who should volunteer to work more hours. You do that, and you'll be that kid who becomes an extremely successful man or woman.
0: Uh, Brian Kilmeade will enjoy your marathon of daily radio and TV shows. And you're actually going to be on the Bernie and Sid show today as well. We'll check out that. Good luck with all your travels and getting all these kids off to college. All right. Slackerism. Every time I say it.
7: Organized slackerism. Organized slackerism. slackerism. I owe you 75 cents. That's right.
0: (laughs) I'll take it. Thanks, Brian. Uh,
7: Go get it, Frank.
0: 15 seconds of fame in just a minute. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. I noticed that when you're looking for something, you can never find it. That's the case with me. But what I do find is all sorts of stuff that I'm not looking for. So yesterday, uh, or two days ago, the day Richard Bay was here, uh, before I came in, I was looking for... I had this CD of all Richard Bay's song parodies, and they're great song parodies. And I wanted to play a few of them, and I couldn't. I couldn't find it. But I did find the andy bcd that he made me on the history of thanksgiving so i put that on the top of my desk and i'm going to listen to it tonight or over the weekend not tomorrow because tomorrow's my digital detox day at least after Smirkanish. all right uh, 800-848-9222. if you want to be heard for 15 seconds it could be a joke could be a question could be a comment could be a promotion of something could be something we've touched upon on the radio could be something we should touch upon on the radio now's the time for
1: The other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of faith. Jim in
0: Queens.
3: David in the Bronx. I don't find Brian Kilmeade to be impressive at all, and he's from my hometown of Massapequa.
0: Alex in Brooklyn.
2: Yeah, well, the oldest joke is Joe Biden, but I also wanted to say would you be able to commit to trying out the scrambled eggs that have sweet potato and sauteed onions in it over the weekend?
0: I, well, I don't want to go out and have to do the shopping for sweet potatoes. So, I don't know. I want to try that, but I don't want to do the shopping for it. 800 12345 open lines. Brendan and Malvern. Frank, you're a minister. You have to stand
2: up for Jesus against the evil of Larry David who urinated on a
1: picture of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Imagine him doing that to your wife. It's
0: so, so disrespectful. Franklin and Queens. Great A Machine by Richard Blatt. Mike and like George.
4: All right, Frank. Again, uh good morning. Uh well deserved you got a national show. And Brian Tillman is fantastic. I'm going to call this show. I haven't mean, talk a little Massapequa. Let's go Massapequa tonight, Little League World Series.
0: And mojo for the Mets, the two in the Bronx. Kick their ass. Thank you, Mike. 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn.
4: We just heard Eric Adams clearly articulate what the people want. In lower crime rate. If Kathy Hochul is not ready to deliver it, uh, she has to be voted out. Simple as
0: that. All right. Uh, thank you. Lee Zeldin. Thank you, Larry. Yeah, I'm leaning towards voting for uh, Lee Zeldin myself. I mean, the state needs a new direction, but Lee Zeldin leaves a lot to be desired. That's for sure, uh, in my opinion. All right. Um, have a great weekend. I will be back on Monday. we got some exciting stuff coming up for Monday, and uh, I'm going to be on top of a number of the stories that you're going to be hearing about all weekend and some other stories that you have not heard about. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, I am uh, looking forward to being in touch with you. Email me, Morano at wabcradio.com. Frank Moreno, good day.